0: are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are hello everybody and welcome to the here we are podcast i am very excited to have return guest third time during the pandemic I feel like uh, I feel like we're on a journey together in in all of this in a way uh, Nina pepperman is joining me Nina why don't you tell everyone give everyone a little bit of an introduction to yourself for those that didn't hear you the last two times that you were on
1: sure so uh, thank you for having me back it's always wonderful to talk with you I um, I'm Nina Fefferman. I'm a professor at University of Tennessee in Knoxville. I'm in the departments of both mathematics and ecology and evolutionary biology, uh, where I also direct our mathematical modeling consulting center. And I'm one of the two associate directors of our One Health initiative.
0: Fantastic. And one, what is the One Health initiative?
1: So One Health is the perspective that all aspects of, of human and environmental and animal health are interconnected. So... Trying to do research to understand everything from uh, human mental health interacting with the wilderness to uh, environmental sustainability and uh, climate change and how that impacts food and how that impacts the safety of agricultural domesticated animals and how does that interact with wildlife animals and and the health of ecosystems. And looking at everything sort of holistically as as interconnected ways that, that the health of any uh, biological system impacts any other.
0: Mm. Uh, And I just had Deb Miller on talking about it as well for any listeners that want to go back and and hear um, a a little bit more about, uh, we talked a lot about the loss of biodiversity and it leading to more pathogens in the environment, not just for humans, but for uh, all sorts of species and uh really really fascinating some something to um, something to think about and something that that's occurred to me quite a bit during the pandemic is a lot of the messaging regarding covid and a lot of the cognitive biases that come up, a lot of the motivated reasoning a lot of the Science denial, a lot of the people not wanting to confront um, uncomfortable or inconvenient realities. A lot of these things are just going to keep on coming up as we talk about climate change, as we talk about uh, habitat loss. Uh, You know, uh, this is, you you could think of those problems as kind of uh, having asymptomatic spread (laughs) as well in a lot of ways.
1: So I, I do think if, if this year has taught me nothing else, it's that I think I need to redefine my definition of modern adulthood as becoming comfortable with unpleasant truths. <laughs>
2: yes,
0: that is wonderful. Yeah, that is, because that is, boy, that's that, <laughs> uh, that doesn't, uh, the physical age doesn't have the same bearing on that as... <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it and it is true. I think I think um, the ways of the ways of thinking that lead to, to denying or, or remaining inaccessible to some of of the things that you just listed and the things that we face as a society and as a globe. Um, it's really easy to natively see how in every single person. It's so much easier to just be like, either this is not happening, I don't believe it, or, or it's too big, it's or it's just not my problem or any of those things. So I do think I've shifted it to like, no, adulthood is when you become comfortable with things that seem insurmountably problematic. Yeah. And you, you can acknowledge that, that, uh, control, you may not be able to control everything, but, but even the things that seem terrible and you can't control them may still be real and you have to think about them.
0: Yeah. I, I just had, I had someone in my extended family who, got covid months ago at a maskless wedding and as like someone who's like a little a little toward the kind of privileged side and has uh i
2: hope,
0: they're okay. they, I hope so too there i would love to talk about some of the long-term impacts because they've months later still don't have their taste and smell back and energy levels are really low. it's been about three months and still was you know well it's like the flu and like but yeah I'm not out of the woods yet but and then I was like well my my husband didn't get it and he's been around all sorts of people with COVID I'm like first off I wouldn't be saying that <laughs> <But> <laughs> and and then and I I mean I I don't I kind of doubt this older heavier guy is immune to COVID and then and then my my And my daughter she's traveled a bunch and like eaten bugs and stuff in other countries, and so she's immune and can't get it either and I realize it's people would rather believe someone can't get something or a bad thing can't happen than to do things to prevent that bad thing yeah. from happening
1: yeah and and honestly, I can't fault them for it, but i do i do Think we need to do better at being adult about it, right? Because that's, right? if if we saw a child doing that about risks, we would go, "Of course, you're doing that about risk. You're a child. Yeah. You're going, you know, I haven't been hit by a car yet, uh, running across the road madly without checking, so it must be fine." Um, or, <laughs> uh, or you know, I have, I have the power to control stoplights with my mind because frequently they do in fact turn green as I as our car approaches. Right. And those are those are whimsical, lovely features of the human brain that we can do this. And and part of it is to that it's the ways that allow us to keep going. It's very it's I think it's very natural because a lot of the world is, is just undeniably dangerous and beyond our control. And so being able to essentially use these stories to ourselves that it's not so bad and everything's sort of okay, and you don't have to worry as much is sort of how you leave the house in the morning under normal circumstances also but then yeah. serves us really badly when the answer is actually right now, don't leave your house. Like, yeah. If you don't have to leave your house right now, maybe now is not a good time for that. It's poss- like now this sort of coping mechanism for the daily dangers of you could, you could be struck by lightning. You probably won't be, but you could be. Um, and the, having the 30 zillion of those that are just inherent in the normal risks of life, but you still sort of put them in the back of your mind and ignore them. Yeah. Um, I think the, our ability to do that is maybe a little overdeveloped, it turns out. <laughs> an, actual, an actual problem that we could impact, but only if we take it seriously. Yeah, Our ability to go like, oh, it's not that bad, is a little bit problematic. Uh,
0: Nina, the idea that I have been any kind of like... Um, uh, Risk-averse voice of reason <laughs> in anything ever really goes <laughs> to show you and, and just how far people have to go. I, but I—I I mean, it, it's been there. There's also all of these silly mismatches with our ability. Most people are not. Most people. A lot of people are more scared of a spider in their house than they are of like you know a non-poisonous spider that. Doesn't even have the ability to bite them than they are to uh, to go outside and yeah. and um, we're
1: not good at this.
0: Yeah, we're so not
1: good at this.
0: I was I was actually thinking um, in terms of you know this will be a good way to get into vaccines because I was just thinking about. I, I just went and donated blood a few days ago. I feel like such a fool for not having done it earlier. I don't know like I kept right away. I was like, I should donate blood. I should go in and I'll see if I have antibodies and why am I not? And I just like was lazy. I didn't um I didn't do it, and now that I've done it, I'm going to make sure I sign up and do it regularly and it was such a easy awesome, way to do you. something good, but also I mean I get to I might need blood one day. I get to. Um, I get to get an antibody test and uh, it was an interesting experience and got to do my little good deed for the day. But one of the reasons why I did it was I was like, I wonder if it's, I wonder how much of the vaccine stuff is just like, people are, needles are kind of scary. I wonder how much would be if, like people pop pills like any 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 pill anyone'll give them people will willy-nilly um uh take but but needles are are scarier than they and they're painful and it's just this extra I was kind of thinking about the um uh, you know the opt-in um stuff for organ donation where what was it Austria and Germany or something like that one of one of them has 90% organ donation the other like 15% and the difference is at the whatever their version of the dmv is one has a check in to donate your organ the other has a check out to opt out of donating your organ and and with a complex uh decision people just default to not taking action and i haven't gotten the flu shot um in many years which is another thing that'll probably never happen again um but looking back, I think that's another one of the, like, oh, well, do I really need it? And it's just easier to not take that action. And it's easier to not go and get jabbed by a needle. So.
1: Yeah. And we know also, right. People are bad at delayed, at, at that, that cognitive link between an action they take now and something they don't see working for a long time or never see working. And vaccines have that, that, um, I guess they're hit with that burden of if a vaccine works, you don't see it working.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, whereas if something like taking a pill, usually what's happening is where we're taking a pill in order to fix something that we can see about ourselves. Then we measure, is it working by, does that thing about ourselves change? If it's blood pressure medication, if I'm taking the pill, does my blood pressure come down? Um, if if I'm sick and I take an antibiotic, do I feel better? Um, sometimes that's, that's even bad for taking the pill right so people with viral infections demanding antibiotics and then feeling better because they recovered from the viral infection anyway because right. their immune system handled it but then as- ascribing that uh, progression to having taken the antibiotic is also not great um but with vaccines of course right what you're doing is not only exactly as you say um you have to opt in to something you have to go, you have to, to drag yourself to somewhere where they're providing a the vaccine, and then do something unpleasant, which is being stabbed by a small needle. Um, but then also, not only that, but if it works, you never see it work. Yeah. You never, you never know, like, oh, on Tuesday I was going to have caught COVID, but I was, but I was protected by the vaccine, and I would have caught it had I not had the vaccine, uh, or or for flu shot. Um, I was going to have to be hospitalized for my flu infection three years ago. But when I caught flu three years ago, I had gotten the flu shot. And though even though I still caught the flu, I, I had a very mild case. I felt crappy for four days and then I was fine. You never get that counterfactual of what did the vaccine do for me? And you have to, you, that's why scientists have to look at the population level that's actually why the testing for vaccine safety takes so long is we have to look at the population level in order to see the effect and go, Oh no, this is what's going on. Unless we do direct challenge experiments, or we, we purposefully give someone a vaccine and then try and infect them, which is a very problematic type of, of experiment. We, we try very hard not to do it partially because it might be unethical, but also because it doesn't give us real world information. it's a very artificial setup. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to look at that population level av- aggregate behavior of the disease in a, in a partially vaccinated population in order even to see what a vaccine is doing. And so we get double hit. You're right. There's that, that ease of, of, I'm just not going to opt in. But then there's also that, even if you opt in, people are just very bad at attributing that the gradual nothingness of nothing terrible went wrong. Yeah. To, Oh, I got a vaccine.
0: I remember I, I worked in a furniture factory for a few years, and uh, I, I didn't go to college or anything, and so I have uh, uh, did a lot of blue collar jobs. And and uh, in this one, uh, as Ashley Furniture Factory, one of the things that they did was they had a scrap bonus um, mm-hmm. each year, where where they would calculate the amount of scrap that was saved based on you know comparisons to past years or whatever and what you know it was whatever metric was their goal and whatever scrap was saved beyond that there was a there was a a check divvied out to everybody that you know I think it'd be like you know 700 bucks or something like that at the end of the at the end of the year and and, in the years that I remember getting it and and this is a you know this is a piece rate um job and so i i bet the average person probably could have made a little more than that over the course of a year cutting some corners and and uh maybe not caring as much about quality and and but but people just kind of had that in the in their mind all of the time and and you would hear people talk about it and be mindful of reducing scrap and and uh, so because we have these measures of GDP or something that we use to try to evaluate success, which, you know, there's all sorts of problems with potentially. But we don't have like a how how many fewer hurricanes did we get this year than the year before? Did we get the same number, which would at least be not more? You know, (laughs) things like that, that we don't. And you're never going to see that really celebrated. And
1: yeah. Yeah, so I actually, um, I mean, public health knows this is a problem for itself, right? Public health is a whole field, not just vaccines, but like, well done public health gets to gets to fade into the background. And, and you never, you don't see successes in public health. What you see are any times public health fails. And sometimes the failures are insurmountable challenges, but sometimes the failures are, oh, we did this badly. If we'd done it better, we wouldn't have seen this one either. Uh, but there are some truly amazing, heroic stories of success in public health that, that by, it's sort of, it, it's a, it's actually sad in my mind how little we celebrate them because as they succeed, the awareness of the need for that success goes away. So polio eradication, even just in the United States, polio eradication took an incredible amount of effort and an incredible amount of science and an incredible amount of public participation and, and money donated and people taking vaccine, giving their kids vaccines and so much work because polio was such a terrible childhood affliction and caused lifelong paralysis. And it just, but if you ask college kids right now, what did it take to get rid of polio? They probably have an awareness that the US at some point had some polio. They know FDR was in a wheelchair, maybe. Um, they, they they have maybe seen a, a performer still from from old old media um, who is affected by polio, but they don't have a sense of the magnitude of how much of an endeavor that was and how much of an incredible success it is that we don't have polio in the United States circulating right now. Yeah. Um, and and we do I and mean, right now it's real time is the story of the success of polio eradication in africa but we don't even really spend a lot of time talking about it in the united states as a news story although we should but it's that gradual success of it succeeded so well that now no one knows why we needed to do it yeah um, and i do sometimes i assign actually to my i have an undergraduate course that talks about medicine and, and practice of public health And I do sometimes assign them to watch clips of old movies that make casual reference, not as the focus of the story, but casual reference to the impact of of earlier eras in in American medicine and public health. Mm. Um, And just like, it's not, it's not the story about polio or it's not the story about antibiotics, but it's just a throwaway comment of like, Oh yeah, my brother died of strep infection or like, uh, yeah, and just yeah. that, con- that underlying context of what it meant before we had antibiotics and before we had vaccines and before we had pr- protocols that kept women from dying on average in childbirth. That we still have terrible maternal mortality, frankly, but it's way better than it was in the 1920s. Um, so, so some of those things that are just these casual references to the impacts in human life of things we, we no longer need to worry about, we can take for granted, not being uh, not being not not having like a quarter of our siblings when we're kids never grow up to be adults with us yeah um that's that's an amazing thing to say right yeah. we don't expect childhood mortality in the united states losing a kid is a tragedy that is a wonderful luxury
0: right yeah i I, I, I just had I I don't mean to once again pick on my extended family. I just don't want I, I don't want listeners to think I'm I'm creating a straw man. These are like real conversations yeah. and things that I've uh, observed, but I I went to um uh two outdoor this summer I went to two outdoor distanced small uh extended family um gatherings yeah. and and they're you know tended to Lean (laughs) a very different direction than I do, and it was just kind of funny to hear that. I mean, I know I do stuff like this all of the time, and so for I can barely tie my shoes. I can I can barely file my taxes. You know things like that. There's like I'm I'm decent at thinking about these larger existential things or abstract ideas. Day to day stuff like they're they're knocking it out of the park. I'm definitely not. I don't mean to be judgmental but just the things that you uh, that I would hear were um like b- being very upset this is like the end of uh oh this is this would have been right around the 4th of July um more worried about like m- me going to like jump in the river in the Mississippi to cool off that being like <gasps> be careful and there were there were people we could see people everywhere collecting on sandbars during a pandemic that wasn't scary to them you know but like taking a taking a pleasant swim in the river but the, but i'd yeah. hear things like well they locked everything down and nothing happened like <laughs> well and that the was point. the idea <laughs> yeah and, and i remember i then i asked my grandpa that very i was like as they were like, well, we can't just have, we can't just stay holed up at our homes forever or whatever. And first off, no one's asking anyone to do. There's plenty of things you can do outdoors and go hiking. I had a very eventful summer. I just didn't do any gatherings. I st- I got plenty of exercise and nature and so. And, um, but I I asked my grandpa, like after this long conversation, I was like, grandpa, you're around during polio right what'd you do he's like oh yeah we well, we' be uh, we all had to stay at our farms and like i know a lot of people like i said like yeah that's that's yeah. How, how pandemics uh, yeah. work yeah. And, and so you know it's just uh like like you said it's just a really it's a complex thing and and we kind of default to a lot of simplifying things and wish thinking and the the creating the false dichotomies between the economy and and health has been really tragic. Oh, I I just yeah. did a solo episode kind of explaining to people um you know if I'm to, if I'm planning on planning a tour, here's the considerations that I need to make. Like this is what it would take to get people to feel even if I didn't believe in covid for me yeah. to marg- market and to get people to sit in a room next to like Yeah, that's, all, that's a difficult job when there's not a pandemic, <laughs> you know. And and I I normally go to restaurants. I'm not going to any restaurants during all of this. So I'm out of that uh, you know, yeah. marketplace and until I feel safe doing that. And so so um consumer consumer confidence is dependent on low COVID numbers.
1: Yeah, uh, and and even I mean, it's not just the, the peak of the timing of when people get sick either, but shifting the needs of a of a community in the aftermath of a, of a disease that can have longer term impacts. If if someone is still feeling fatigued three months after getting COVID, even if it's just fatigue, if, even if we're we're knock on wood we're lucky and there's no real medically uh, medically support medical support needs to keep that person okay but they're just feeling more run down for months at a time. That's that's an economy, right? If, if a large yeah. chunk of your economy, if you're, if a large chunk of your workforce, if a large chunk of your family is really tired for months, yeah. just think about what it takes. Just think about the days that your significant other or your parent or your child are really tired, how much extra work you pick up trying to keep your household running. Just, mm. just from that. And that's just a day of like, my significant other came home and had a long day at work and therefore I had to make dinner kind of conversation. Yeah. Um, now imagine that that's running your store or, or, or manufacturing that, that piece of furniture or selling marketing that thing to get people excited enough to go in and buy it. Yeah. Um, all of that is just harder when people are are tired. And now, and now I'm boiling down to just the, the easiest case of what happens if people are tired, which doesn't even have to be from recovering from COVID. It can also be just from the exhaustion of figuring out how to navigate your daily life under an ongoing outbreak of COVID. Mm-hmm. If we don't all have default policies, it, it actually takes a lot of energy to figure out each day, I mean, I, I I, personally, right, I have friends who are navigating different boundaries of risk acceptance. And, um, my, I mean, some of my friends are idiots, but most of my friends are very, very smart people. <laughs> um, and so really all they're doing is is calibrating what level of risk they're willing to accept in their lives. But that means that every interaction that I might have with any of my friends, in the back of my mind, I have to go, Okay, what level of risk acceptance do I know that that friend of mine has? Yeah. So what level of risk acceptance do I have in interacting with my friend? Yeah. That that itself can be pretty exhausting. That's a lot of mental energy I didn't need to put into my friendships before.
0: I, I was I was just I went for a jog really recently. This is like th- this is such a small but just like so tragic in that the, just like your example, this is just happening all of the time i i I went for a jog the other day and I was even um I, i'm I'm in my hometown, so i'm like all I like jogging past like old neighborhoods and stuff seeing what memories pop into my head and uh I'm like, oh I'm gonna jog by my friend's house i i uh always got along with his parents really well they still like come to shows and stuff with he is dad always cracks me up and we get along great you know and and so you know I'm jogging past and it's a nice day maybe they'll be out I'm jogging past I see the garage door open I'm like oh maybe I'll go and say you know it's outdoors distance yeah, and everything yeah. and then I think to myself ah but what if they're like am I going to get yelled at if I want to keep my distance? Like I'm sick of having to like walk backwards away from people and people not getting it while I'm walking backwards and me feeling like I'm the bad person for wanting to uh, do. And, and so I was at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll just say hi when all of this is over. And, and there, there was no reason why. And, and I might've, there's, I, I might have been it's making too, it, it might have been totally fine, but I don't know because not everyone's on the same page. And so, exactly. for no reason whatsoever, I can't go and say hi outdoors, distanced from someone, just because I don't want to deal with it, like because it yeah. got made so political. And
1: yeah, and it's just that extra energy that we're all spending. And I, I think we haven't because it does, it's, it's not easy to, to calculate that in terms of a dollar. Yeah. um but i i there is absolutely sorry Nina. if you can't put a dollar
0: value on it no one no one cares
1: <laughs> right but, but i think but i think our personal like when we sit down and do our personal budgeting yeah right i mean all of us or well there are probably some very lucky people who've never done this but right all, all of the vast majority of america at some point in your life has sat down and gone okay i need to pay rent and eat food How am I going to fit those things into how much, how many dollars I have? And, and all of us know who've done that, how exhausting just that calculation has to be. How much energy you put into that calculation, that constant calculation of like, oh God, okay. But if I go there, I'm going to spend this much on gas
2: Yeah.
1: and that's an extra. And the, the constant mental calculation of that takes energy and time in a way that translates into dollars. And this is now adding health into that constant calculation. So in, in the, the, the analogy in my soul is that right now, every American is, is living paycheck to, paycheck to paycheck in their health calculations. Yeah. And, and the stress of that, it's almost, I, I, I've never, I mean, knock on wood, I've never been poor enough to just know that I'm not gonna be able to make my bills. I've never been at that level of poverty. But there's a part of me when I'm on that, when I, I mean, I haven't for a long time, I'm very lucky. I'm incredibly privileged. My life is really lucky, but I remember a time when it wasn't going, Oh my God, how much of my energy is spent in just making sure that I'm, that I'm not exceeding what I have with what I need Mm -hmm. and thinking to myself, you know what, if I just knew that I couldn't make rent, I would be so much less exhausted because because I wouldn't be putting all of this energy into trying to eke out every every last cent's worth of effort because I just knew I wouldn't be able to do this. And so I think some of what we're seeing in our in our friends and colleagues who are just giving up on like, I'm not affecting the pandemic, I'm just going out is actually that. And I think it's for health, it's a fallacy. And it's probably a fallacy for money. And I just never tipped over into that level of, of I'm just not making rent. Uh, but I think it's that energy that it takes to be like, Okay. I will at the end of this month I will still have a buck 34. And and I will have I will have still met all of my obligations and been able to eat every day and, and but, but get to work and all those things and I will be I will still be not be in the red. Um, but I think it's that exhaustion of just like, you know what? I'm 200 bucks shy. I can't do this. Screw it. I'm I'm not worrying about it anymore. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that exhaustion is just so real. And in some way, maybe hopefully that analogy maybe can can generate more empathy for the folks who are now in the position where I'm I'm so lucky to live in, where I'm like, and also for the record, I've been really lucky. Even those times where I've been thinking that in my head, I've always had a fallback of like, I have relatives who have had cash when I've been strapped who I, I could have gone to and been like, I need to buy tuna. Can you, yeah. can you just, Lend me some money and I'll buy you. And, they, and I know in my soul they would have been able to and they would have said yes. So I'm not even on the very stressed side of the people who are like, I can't feed my kids if I don't have a dollar at the end of the day. Right. Um, but, but hopefully maybe that, that mutual empathy of, of that's the exhaustion we're all talking about now with health. Of going like, okay, if I wear a mask and I don't think I'm around people who are that risky, but I still have to go to work where some people are risky and I can't control them, and some of my family's gonna yell at me if they disagree with me. And I don't know if I'm gonna meet somebody on the street that I went to high school with and I really like them, but I don't want to offend them and they're not, and they're just gonna yell at me. And how much of that unpleasant interaction is worth, how much of an exposure I can't quantify to something that might be that that might kill me or might kill my grandmother, uh, that's that by itself is just such an incredible daily emotional, energetic, and I think real economic cost from the exhaustion.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think in I think in um, hindsight, I mean, this is I've I've been saying this um, this early on as often as I could too with uh, just in terms of people. Well, well, now so this is a great example because Thanksgiving just happened and there are a lot of people that are like, okay, I'll skip Thanksgiving, but, and are now like, well, hopefully by Christmas, like, what makes you think Christmas isn't going to be so much worse? Like Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving get together was a bad idea. But if, if, if there would have been like a, a condition where it was like, I was being forced to go to either Thanksgiving or Christmas, and I had to pick one, I would have absolutely picked Thanksgiving. Christmas is going to be so much worse. But, but the idea of telling yourself that. Yeah. And, and just, I, I just think that early on, and I, and I don't think it's too late for this, is that if people just had a really reasonable idea of an actual time frame early on we are told like easter and then okay another two weeks i think you could have told people this thing could be two years early on but and we're going to make some adjustments and stuff and at least you know everyone would have fallen apart for a little while and then people would have started making you know small incremental gains i think and they're adjusting in their mental health rather rather than just the the painful just objective reality crushing your your subjective hopes over and over and over and over again is way too bad yeah
1: Yeah. so i i do think there's there's some there's some validity in the fact that that happened it's not just lack of planning like if you it even in the conversation i think you and i had back in march um If you'd asked me, like, how long do you think this would last? There's a difference between would and could. Yeah, yeah. Would last? Yeah, a couple years. Absolutely. I think in March I would have even said that. But if you'd asked me, like, how long do you think it's going to be from now until we get this in hand? My prediction would have been, like, four to six months.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I I actually remember you, I think you, you at some point in a conversation we had afterwards, you asked me, like, end of the summer tour dates? Like maybe not end of the summer, but like not unreasonable to think about maybe. Um, and so the the problem wasn't actually just blind optimism; it was also those feedbacks of the somewhat optimistic leadership, meaning that we didn't take the steps that we needed to take in order to make it shorter. Yeah. So it, at no point was it, it's still not clear how long it's going to last from here. Mostly because. It all boils down to people's appetite to accept controlled measures, mm-hmm. and so I think I think you're right. If if what we had done was say to people at the beginning, it's going to be two years, um, we would have we would have it would have ended up somewhat better for people's mental health overall. But what we might have actually done, and this would be wonderful and terrible at the same time, is caused it to be only three or four months. At which point we've lost all credibility for the next one.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
1: So there is, there's reason why our leaders, even in, the, even in science, not just our political leaders, our political re- leaders have whole other reasons for wanting to tell us it will be over soon. Right. But, but even our leaders in science going, when do you think this will be over? When can we start be not worrying about this as much? There's real pressure to try and make that as accurate a prediction as possible. hmm. Even though that means that you may not be able to brace for the true negative impacts, because if we overshoot by too much, then the next time nobody's going to believe us and it's going to be even worse than, which is hard to imagine, but we're going to do even worse at the next one than we are at COVID.
0: I just watched a couple of clips of you from the first time recently, and it's eerie Be- because as we're having toilet paper shortages again, <laughs> we're mentioning that, and then you were, and you were talking about the you know supply, uh, talking about every hospital getting overrun and needing supplies and everything, and and yeah. that is exactly what's uh, happening now, and and um, yeah, it, and and it's I mean there's so many. Um, I think a lot of people listening would would think that I'm um, just like giving conservatives a hard time or something like that. But but I I did not I was not a fan of watching the Biden celebrations in the street afterwards. I'm not a fan of all of the. There's plenty of Democrats that were post that it turns out were posturing kind of this whole time, and and I don't yeah. think we're taking things as seriously uh, uh, like after the election there's, uh, I mean, there's plenty of, uh, there's plenty of people toward the, uh, the conspiracy realm of things. That is not a, that is not a red or blue, that is, there is an equal number of conspiracy yeah. zealots on, on both sides of, of the fence. And man, I think we're yeah. really in for it this, uh, this winter. But you know, and speaking of trying to have accurate measuring and uh, uh, or predictions and accurate messaging, rather, I've been telling people, you know, if you hang tight till February, things are going to be so much better. And really, I think that's more like March in my mind. But I really want people just to hunker down and it's just kind of like a little bit easier of a sell. So there's, yeah. there's that to th- think about too and like is that a lie that I I don't know I, I I hope that I'm being accurate and I simply don't know because I don't I don't talk about COVID on the show enough I don't get the opportunity to um, sure. chat with people so
1: so I think unfortunately I think the the, the answer my, my current prediction this is me as as a scientist so who knows it's good to have consensus among scientists and this is just one one scientist's view February will be when we're, when we're starting to see it get better as opposed to continuing to see it get worse, Mm -hmm. it's February is probably still going to be worse in February than it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a while before it's good. It's just going to stop getting worse. Yeah. So, so, um, it's sort of like how far down the well are you? Well, we're going to have stopped traveling downwards, but we're not going to be, Coming out of the well yet we're going to be what we're going to be coming upwards in the well, but we're still going to be in the well in February by quite a, and we're going to be further down the well in February than we are now
0: so there there's a there's a few really major things that I want to talk about your your take on, and no one's yeah. no one's holding you to this, so no one's presuming that you have the exact perfect answers and predictions for everything in fact, after I talked to you the first time, I wrote a whole tweet thread about how like hey I'm planning thing for tour for august and here's why um just because and i only said that just because i didn't want to sound any crazier than that because back then to tell people that summer's canceled was a difficult thing to do but i actually never booked any shows i never even attempted to because i talked with a couple other people and i i'll wait until june and see if it's even worth my time and then and then i was like i'm gonna go for september 2021 hoping vaccine (laughs) yeah and then come october i was like i don't think 2021 is going to happen and then lately with the uh, so these are the things that i love your take on with the optimistic vaccine news, which to me seems promising that there's three that that seem like they're beyond, if they are as effective as as the early trials have shown are beyond like anyone's wildest dreams, really, it seems. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, you know, we need to figure, uh, we'll talk about side effects and everything. Um, I, I, I feel like I'm less concerned about that aspect of it than a lot of people seem to be, maybe that's my bias, but I, read some stuff recently that made me think that reinfection wasn't as likely as the possible fears early on or maybe um immunity is lasting a bit longer than than originally feared and we don't know and so all of that without the I'll, i'll just here's here's what my take is if i'm talking with someone that Uh, and trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about. And then you can talk about all of the ways in which I'm wrong. Um, I would say a lot of the people that are the most cavalier are the people that are going to be the most averse to getting vaccines are going to be, and, and, but are at the same time going to be the most likely to get COVID during this period of time where it's peaking, it's going to be awful. I hope that they don't, but that being said, if there is, some longstanding immunity um, after that, that at least that coupled with a vaccine coming out and and willingness um, uh, to take it at that time, considering that this winter, I think is going to be absolutely devastating. um, Then that, that in my mind feels a lot closer to a herd immunity type of a situation by like late, summer but what do you think
1: um, so so I think your your intuitions are really good uh, there are a couple things that that I, I disagree with on their impact I think rather than their statement as a as a this will probably happen but the, the consequences of those things probably happening I think maybe I'm less optimistic about being as much of a solution to the ongoing problem so I um, so the idea that the the people most likely to put themselves at risk for COVID are going to be the ones who who catch it first is true. It's just, it, on its face, that's that's just a logical statement. Um, but the 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 sort of other the other edge to that dagger um, is that ongoing transmission really isn't something that you can truly affect by individual behavior. It, it's a it is a community level issue because not everybody. Because, because a lot of the transmission we know is tra- is very transient, is, is just bad luck of, right? The CDC has updated its its guidance right now for, for contact exposure to a cumulative 15 minutes of exposure to an active case, right? That's not, you stood next to someone for 15 minutes. That's, oh, you stood three minutes next to that guy and seven minutes next to that guy and five minutes next to that guy. And oops, five and three and seven is seven and eight and oh God. Um, Right, so, so that, that guidance update um, means that, that even people trying to behave really responsibly but not having complete control over everyone else around them are kind of at risk also. And so when we say, um, when, when you make reference to things like herd immunity, um, there, there's, it's very tempting to talk about getting towards herd immunity mm-hmm. um, but really herd immunity is, is meant as a calculation of a threshold in control of how likely is it that we can get a handle on new outbreaks. It's not, when, do, when does disease go away? And so it's absolutely true that as we have more of the population immune, either because they've had COVID recently or because they got vaccinated, that those together slow down the probability of transmission. Um, and slowing it down is wonderful because we do have then greater ability to react. But that's different from being protected in the sense that more people won't still get sick. So the the things that the the things that worry me really for the, the coming few months are not actually even just COVID. I think we are clearly now in, in a case where we're going to overrun a lot of the hospital capacity of the country at different times. Um, and it's it's not different enough times that we can supplement each other well. And so I'm I'm quite worried that it's going to be a hard winter, not just because a lot of folks will get COVID but a lot of folks won't get care for non covid things that will so, and some of those will lead to just excess mortality if you if you can't get to see an emergency room doctor fast enough your heart attack is more likely to kill you but but some of that also is going to be you know can can you do this extra diagnostic treatment that would tell you that that you have stage 1 cancer instead of stage 3 cancer in 6 months mm-hmm. um and so i think there's there's we're at a stage where clearly there's the medical community especially on hospitals so so less so around non-urgent care which is great for things like screening maintaining health in general but for things where people really do need hospital settings and for a lot of rural america diagnostic testing got centralized around hospital complexes for economic reasons over the last few decades so it's no longer you know, oh, that diagnostic test can be done in my doctor's office. It really was like, oh no, go to the medical center. The medical center is where they do that. If the medical center is now switched over to be your surge, your increased surge capacity for emergency medicine because of COVID, that delays. It doesn't prevent, but it does delay meaningfully a lot of the care that we tend to take for granted. So I, I'm I'm worried absolutely that that yes, COVID will will get worse through the winter. And then probably exactly as you said, start getting better, whether it's because of vaccines rolling out or because we're just decreasing the number of people who would get it as quickly as in the fall because the people left are the ones who are being a little bit more cautious as a percentage of the population. We're also facing a lot of the sort of follow-on what happens when medical systems themselves break down a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's that's gonna take some time to work through. That's not a, oh, you know, Oh, we got back three more beds in the ICU that aren't filled now with COVID patients. Now we can start working on the backlog. The, the backlog has some has some cascading effects of how serious the illness that we then need to address in people is, and how and how many people we need to address. That's that's going to be enough. And and frankly, also, I'm amazed our 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 medical professionals right now. We've stopped really talking about the heroism of, of first responders and, and medical professionals. It's, it's way more impressive now than it was in, in April, in July, um, when there were, right, I don't know, I don't actually know in, anymore in New York if there's a 7 p.m. nightly applause for the hospital workers, but there should be because they haven't let up doing this. And they've seen this coming the same way that you and I were talking about this last March. And I was like, it's gonna come if we don't fix this. It's here now. That has been a looming sense of dread of surely we can fix, and it's almost, I don't know, I don't know how anyone else feels. I honestly feel almost more exhausted having been for eight months going, this doesn't have to be true. We can fix this. Everyone fix this. Everyone fix, true. (laughs) And and just watching us fail to prevent this is itself exhausting. And now, because failing to prevent this is when medical workers Showing up every day and being overwhelmed by what they have to do every day is the most heroic thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, and And so so this the coming next couple of months are just going to be brutal for those people also. and yeah. And whatever they need to do to to get through it, I applaud. but there there is also going to be a lack of efficiency from human exhaustion. So even in those calculations we've been doing, for for medical capacity, we really haven't talked about attrition by exhaustion. We've talked potentially about attrition by by disease and vaccine will help us fix that. But we haven't talked about just medical mistakes made by someone who is in their 40th day of an emergency um, in ways that are not their fault at all. But, but even right in, in April in New York, when we were seeing extra refrigerated morgues in the streets um, and we were getting YouTube videos of nurses in tears because of what was going on. That was when there were still, we, there's, there's actually a profession in the United States of, of sort of mobile nursing, of, of nurses and doctors who go wherever there's extra need
2: mm-hmm.
1: for a few months. We're, we're out of that. We, we ha- there, there's surged too many places in the United States. We don't have that buffer to go help. So that level of exhaustion that that we were talking about in April and May in New York is the level with the help. And now we're eight months later, and it's going to get that bad again, a lot of places at the same time, and we're out of help.
0: Hmm. Is there, are are there things that people, I mean, there's a lot of people out of work or have less work are there can people just apply for our jobs at hospitals it's are our hospitals like hiring right now for things that anyone can like be you know the janitors are on the front lines of a lot of disease spread and and things is
1: um to to be perfectly honest i don't know because that's going to be hospital system by hospital system specific yeah there are there are scenarios that I've seen where I've talked to hospitals where the answer is yes if, if there are extra people that they can hire and train that would be awesome and then conversely there are systems where the answer is no honestly our protocols are pretty rigid and in order to keep things running the way we need them to it will be better not to introduce too much new yeah. chaos right. um, but if but honestly if you're out of work and you're looking for work right now and you're you're healthy and and robust and and I would I would check whether or not your local hospital is hiring because if you could preferentially apply for a job that will help others right now, that would be awesome. Hmm. Um, but even things like our ambulance system is rapidly hitting capacity. Um, that's not something you can spin up quickly. It's unlike unlike staff at a hospital. Um, you can't quickly be trained as an EMT or a paramedic. But but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot of places that are hiring in departments of public health that aren't getting the applicants that they need. Um, so, so those are, if you're, if you're out of work and you're looking for jobs and you haven't, you, even if you don't have experience in public health, there are staff positions that a lot of places are now trying to fill, even just contact tracers, admin staff, um, things that, I mean, at this point, contact tracing is not really the most effective tool we were hoping it would be because we're just past that phase of the pandemic but it's still a useful tool and it's still things people are trying to get a hold of. Um, so yeah, I mean, every aspect of this is gonna, be, is gonna be even more swamped than it currently is for a while. Um, and vaccines do help. Vaccines are, as you said, it is way beyond our wildest hopes The the early results for, for at least three of the, of the, the contender vaccines.
0: I think there's like another 40 being tested or something like that, too.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, easily. Um, it's just that these are the three that we have widespread results for so far. So it's uh, two mRNA, So It's a Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca are the, the three furthest along, which doesn't mean that there aren't at least 40 others in development across the globe. Um, but those are the ones where large-scale tests have already had preliminary results be extremely promising enough that I think Pfizer uh, already is in, in uh, and maybe, maybe also Moderna. I, have, I confess I haven't been following the daily news of, of the applications to the FDA yeah. for, for approval, but I know um, Pfizer at least is, is along the path to FDA emergency approval, and I think Moderna might also be as well. Several um,
0: people on social media had a question for you, uh, or, or just generally about the vaccines. Will will that mean that someone can't won't get? Co- I, I know, I know it's not not getting yeah. it. I, I know, I know it's decreasing the risk of of getting it. I don't want to. Doesn't make you invincible, um, but. Uh, your your decrease but it, it it's is it the case that you get it and you and your immune system's prepared so you don't have some, I guess the main the main question is are people still going to be spreading it if they have a vaccine
1: It's a fantastic question and the answer unfortunately is it's too early to know Yeah It's too early to know we we truly don't know that but that's part of why we're we're really worried about vaccine acceptance and uptake because we even, even if we were able to get enough people to take it for that herd immunity idea to kick in, um, if everyone truly couldn't pass it on, we don't know if that's what's happening or if you're simply not being made sick by it. But you are capable of... So, so it's, it's a very safe assumption to believe that if you, if you have a good vaccine that is going to prevent you from, from severe symptoms, that you're at very, very least decreasing your probability of transmission. Huh. The viral load you're, you're putting out into the world is probably way lower than if you weren't protected from the vaccine. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a reasonable scientific assumption. It's still an assumption. We, haven't, we, we don't know yet, but it's a very good assumption. But, that's, but that difference between lower and none is gigantic. So you will, you will probably expose fewer people is the difference between go see your, your older relative in a nursing home and not. Um, so we don't, and we don't know that yet. Um, there, there, will, there will be analyses of, of trials after the rollout to the public that, that looks at specifically at this question. Um, but it's, that wasn't, the whole, the whole push to get this done really, really, really fast was to make sure that there was efficacy and safety. And when we say efficacy, um, that, that even itself is nuanced. Efficacy can mean preventing disease or it can mean preventing severe disease. So right now, I think Moderna is the one where it, it had a slightly lower preventing disease rate than the Pfizer one, I think. I'm hoping I'm getting this right. If not, people from both Moderna and Pfizer can call and yell at me. Um, um, I, know, I know it's one way around, and I'm forgetting which one it is. I think it's that Moderna's test had a slightly lower uh, calculated efficacy of preventing infection but a higher probability of, of uh, I, I believe that from the initial analyses it eliminated severe infection among those who, st- who had the vaccine and still caught the disease
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, I believe that the, that they they flipped between the two so Pfizer was better at preventing any you from developing disease at all but if you caught it I believe, there were some still severe cases among those who caught it from Pfizer, but none from the mo- ones who caught it from Moderna. That doesn't mean that they will be perfect like that. That means that just in the initial testing, um, this seemed really, really good. Um, but of course, certainly if you do catch it, you are transmitting. Having less severe outcome means you're not like- as likely to, be ho- to need hospitalization or die from it, but you are probably still transmitting to people. Mm. Um,
0: Right, so I mean, this is we're going to have a um, twenty mi- uh, around twenty million sample size fairly quickly, right? What kind yep. of? I I know I know that a, a typical vaccine I, I think wasn't Ebola five years or something like that. That was like the record for speed. Usually, 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 it'd be like five to ten years for something like this so this is uh this is in- incredible that what Ooh, yeah. what can be done when the entire <laughs> scientific community and the entire world tries to uh do something Ooh, yeah. but what what kind of time frame do we need to did i i saw something um where usually if there's say side effects uh, you're seeing them within the first couple months of getting a vaccine. Is that?
1: I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, so there's there there really isn't a really great way to benchmark this so much. Uh, partially because the two of the vaccine contenders at the moment for the top three slots are an entirely new type of vaccine. They're mRNA vaccines instead of Mm. instead of uh, protein like protein vaccines. They're the actual are like the the genes of the virus. Um, We can hope there there are such things as long term vaccine adverse reactions. There there are. Um, There's also on the other hand. Unknown long-term reactions from infection. We don't know what the long-term fallout from having COVID is yet.
0: Yeah. This is what I keep on telling people. I'm like, well, if I was going to take a chance with COVID or a vaccine, that's a no-brainer. Like I don't even need to think about it. Not not, yeah. not that not that we shouldn't have have concerns and everything else, but I'll I'll tell you in the people that I talk to that are nervous about the vaccines boy is it just like a tremendous amount of misinformation it i'm i'm happy to have like um uh you know a reasonable conversation about like yeah this is rushed and we don't we don't have enough time to know everything and uh, (laughs) but 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 there's also i mean i saw so someone was like someone was like they someone died in the in the trial and i was like what are you what are you talking about and I'm like, I think that would have been a headline. And then, and then they're like, Oh, well it was. And they did. And then, so I looked into what they were talking about and, Oh my gosh, I, sh- I should try to screen share this with you. You wouldn't believe this. Um,
1: oh, I'll believe anything at this point.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> Let's see if I can find this. It's this pretty incredible. So it says 28 year old.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Volunteer. And a COVID-19 vaccine trial dies. And then below that, if, you, if you're if you thoughtful enough to read the second sentence, it says the trial has not been paused as the volunteer did not receive the COVID-19 vaccine, uh, but was part of the control group. The control group. So they got the placebo, yeah. which is like. Yep. yeah. <laughs> and uh, sorry go on no
1: no no please no so so i think i think what you're what you're hitting on is exactly this idea of relative risk acceptance that we know people are are bad at and so this the other thing you were talking about also about opt-in versus opt-out um it feels like not getting a vaccine is is just not opting in to risk but of course on the other side of that scale is remaining, is failing to opt out of the risk of COVID. And right. so we've had Young Health, so even if that headline, even if that headline had been a death in the vaccine group, in the one that received, in the experimental group, the one that received the vaccine, not the control group. So clearly that poor person died not because of the vaccine, because they didn't get the vaccine. Right. And that headline is just screwing with people's minds. Um, in a way that should not have been written that way, but whatever. I even looked
0: into the person that wrote it, and they, like, write plenty of reasonable stuff. It wasn't a conspiracy site or anything like that. It was a yeah. it was a medical communicator, but it's just such a juicy headline or something that, I guess...
1: Or it didn't occur to them. Honestly, like, I easily see... There are times I've done this. There are times this year where I have done this, where I anticipate the misinterpretation someone will have yeah and try and head it off in the past in a way that accidentally fosters the misinterpretation yeah i've absolutely done that and and i so i've you can no one can get this right all the time right. but this is hopefully where you get like someone else's eyes on it before you publish the title but yeah. yeah um but it does feel like oh well what if i'm doing this risky thing and the answer is okay but is it preventing a bigger risk And so so that's not actually the way our our vaccine approvals work. Our vaccine approvals actually have to make sure that they are, in fact, not a risk, that the risk has to be pretty minimal. Um, But there are approved vaccines, not COVID. We're not talking about COVID. Nobody should start a conspiracy theory about what I'm about to say next. Mm -hmm. Um, But, for example, the yellow fever vaccine that is licensed, and people do... I have have gotten it. There is a non-trivial risk of death from the yellow fever vaccine. Mm-hmm. The reason it is licensed and in fact required for travel to some areas of the globe is that your risk of death from yellow fever is much, 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 much higher. And your risk of catching yellow fever is much higher. Mm-hmm. So together, everyone goes, oh yeah, no. Yellow, I mean, the, the risk of, of adverse events from the vaccine not zero, we should not tell everybody it's a perfectly safe vaccine, smallpox yeah. vaccine. We don't give people smallpox vaccine anymore, partially because we eradicated smallpox, which is amazing, um, but it still exists in labs. And there's, it. The, why do we not just go like, oh, well, as we give you everything else, we'll just also give you smallpox vaccine because it might get out of, a. at some point it was discovered at the NIH in a shoebox by accident. Um, that was scary. Um, we were all a little bit nervous about that when that happened. That was like eight years ago. <laughs> oh, seriously. We're like, Why? Why is there smallpox in our shoebox?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no one had gone into that lab's cabinetry since the forties or something. Um, Amazing. and it was fine. They, they everything got cleaned up and everything was fine. That's a movie. Oh yeah. Seriously. Um, but the answer: to Why aren't we all vaccinated? Is the smallpox vaccine is dangerous? Yeah. It's just way less dangerous than smallpox. Yeah. Um, but for for when we say we we sped up COVID vaccine research, we didn't. We're not missing short term dangers. We're we are capturing those. It's just we we sped up sort of the the business machinery of testing the zillion trials to get to the thing we would then try in the humans, and then unfortunately. COVID helped us speed it up. So part of the reason that that average vaccine trials take so long is actually not looking for those initial adverse reactions. So as you said, the most adverse reactions to vaccines happen in the first few months. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all of them, but, but most. And the ones that you look for in those original trials are mostly the first few months after the volunteers take them. The reason it normally takes so long For the these trials is to get enough people who then catch the disease to then compare how many caught it from the control group versus the experimental group. So the fact that we had such terrible control over covid spread actually helped us speed up the trials because enough people caught covid to then compare. Against the control group versus the experimental group, and I'm like, <laughs> how many? That's do you a very that dark vaccine?
0: silver lining.
1: <laughs> it's a really dark silver lining, but that's also that's also why the speed up happened. So it's it's actually this is where I get upset at some of the conservative rhetoric, because the conservatives were like, "See, we told you it was going to be a, a vaccine by November or so, anyway." Like this is all saying it was going to take longer was all political, and I, and in my soul, I'm like, no saying it was going to take longer was the hopeful case where we didn't have gigantic widespread community outbreaks in October that infected enough people that we would have the answer by November, but okay. Um, But yeah.
0: Yeah. I, so, so, I mean, I, I do hope that we can live in a world where we can all just have, like we talked about, have that, um, that, that, risk maturation where we we can all kind of just get the real information and because i i think that if i would love to think that people could hear the like i would love to know what what people in the know are even talking about for in terms of what long-term side effects um does like legitimately worry uh worry people with this particular um, vaccine, because if, you know, in the thousands of interactions that I have with people on like Twitter or whatever, uh, the 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 common thing is, you know, what you see a lot of is, oh, the death rates only 0.001. like oh, it's this. Not. I oh, I know that, <laughs> but but that wherever they're like calculating, they're cherry picking this and that, and they're get, and they're yeah. making up some ridiculous statistic to downplay the statistical probability of of dying from um from covid I, I i don't know if they're also putting in like the chance of getting covid in the first place and then die but whatever it, it's yeah. it's wrong either every time it's been sent to me yeah. like that like the, by the way the main anti mask stuff that i get i I've learned so much just from actually reading the things that people send me that they clearly haven't read. <laughs> like anti mass stuff is like, it's always there's some headline from back in March where they're like, maybe masks aren't the best idea. And if you read it, no one in there are they saying that masks don't work. They have concerns that it will make people overly confi- confident and disregard distancing and disregard the other things. They address concerns of running out of PPE. They d- address concerns of, of, of um, uh, you know, people not yeah. wearing the right mask and wearing them correctly. Uh, and that's what all... Of- and those are the papers that people send me to be like, see, masks don't work. Like, no, nah, that's not quite what it was saying there. But, yep. but then when it comes to vaccines, what you'll always see is then the the counterpoint is the anomalies of, of the, or, or sorry, the anecdotes of, well, I know someone that knows someone that had this, their kid got a vaccine and then this happened to them. And so they use a made up statistic to say, here's why no one should, pay any attention to covid or bother wearing a mask and then use uh, anecdote to say here's why all vaccines are poison and we should be deathly scared of them and yeah and so so that's a huge problem but i would like to know what the actual like people that actually have to make vaccines and test vaccines and people like yourself that know a lot more about infectious disease and biology and i have taken little bits of infectious disease courses only enough i wish everyone would you're not going to learn enough you're going to learn enough to be like whoa just think how much someone must know that spent 20 years like day in and day out learning this stuff
1: yeah, so, um, so I'm going to invoke part of that expertise as a justification for my ignorance, in fact. So I'm not the right person for you to talk to about what this, what the concerns are for long-term adverse reactions for these types of specific vaccines. Yeah. There are some awesome people who are immunologists who are really the right person for that. I can tell you some of my concerns from the epidemiology side Yeah. from them, uh, but my concerns are very much like a- akin to the ones that you mentioned for mask wearing, of like, how can we use them in ways that don't compromise their use by, oh, people are people thinking like, oh, well, I've gotten a vaccine, so I can ignore all of the rest of COVID risk, or oh, someone is getting a vaccine, so it no longer matters if I ignore the the social distancing protocols, or um, or things like that, where where that that greatly concerns me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also very concerned that the, the ones that require two shots, um, that there will be not, these aren't even adverse reactions. These are, these are purposefully correct reactions. I'm worried people are going to feel sick after getting the first shot and not go back and get the second one.
0: Uh, give, run a fever and think that, uh, which, which yeah, is and feel, I mean, honestly
1: feel pretty bad. Um, I think you and I've actually talked about this before.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I don't remember if it was in March or August, but, but, getting a vaccine and feeling pretty bad from the vaccine means it's working. It means your immune system is attacking the what's been injected into you in the vaccine. And your immune system is going, Oh, I recognize this. This is a pathogen. I will learn how to fight it. And then starting to fight it, which causes you to feel terrible. So you might have fever, body aches, fatigue. You might really be knocked knocked for a loop for a day or two. Mm -hmm. If the vaccine is working really well, Um, that's, that's a good immune response, but I'm worried that it's, we know, we know from other things in public health, it's hard to get people to do, like, forget being just stabbed. Then you have to know, like, oh, now I have to go be stabbed and spend a weekend feeling terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really worried that people are going to misinterpret that reaction as I had a bad reaction to the vaccine. My body doesn't like this. I'm not doing it as opposed to, oh no, my body had a great reaction to the vaccine. If I go get my second dose, I will absolutely be protected. I will not really great antibody responses. I will be great. And and feeling crappy, like feeling crappy feels crappy but it's not dangerous. Mm. Um, all of those reported side, of, side effects from the vaccine are exactly that, they are side effects. No, it, it did not require medical support to get people through them. It was like, are you, somewhat unhappy for the day? Did you want to take maybe ibuprofen and feel a little bit that like, just go home and feel crappy for two days. It'll be fine. Um, But that's, so that really worries me for the ones that are the two shots. And then there is the fault. So there is the the fear of the unknown a little bit in me because I'm human also. We've never tried an mRNA vaccine before. It seems amazing. The reason we were able to do it now is that we've been working on trying to get one for a while. Um, so in part of, part of me, there's the scientist that's celebrating of like, oh my God, we have working mRNA vaccines. That's amazing. Um, and then part of me is the, the human going like, oh, this is the first time we have working mRNA vaccines. I wonder, I wonder how those are going to play out. But they seem to be playing out really, really well. But that's the human, that's the, that's the scared chimpanzee brain in me, not the scientist. And, yeah. and I can overcome that by rational thought. And if someone offers me an mRNA vaccine, I will take it. Um there is also there are also the modified protein vector vac- the, the adenovirus based vaccines epidemiologically I'm a little I'm a, I have the following concern this is not a don't take it still like st- everyone everyone should be taking the vaccines um, but the the adenovirus based vaccines are basically an amalgamation of the coronavirus proteins with adenovirus which is a cir- which is a circulating virus in the world. There are adenoviruses that we encounter. Uh, it's rare. It's, it's, not, it's way less likely than coronaviruses. Um, not COVID, not, not SARS-CoV-2, that is the, the virus that causes COVID-19. But, there, but all of us have had a coronavirus before in our lives. They cause colds. They cause non-symptomatic infections where we just pass them on for a while. Um, adenoviruses are rarer. Uh, people do get them, but it's rare. But there's a non-trivial possibility, and this is where having an immunologist is, would be way more valuable than just like, Nina knows this could happen. Talking about this vaccine with an immunologist would be really good to know these details. Um, yeah. But there's a non-trivial probability. And when I say non-trivial, I don't mean big. I don't mean, it might be like 1% or less than 1%, but, but in my mind, that's still like, we might want to, we might want to see how this plays out that your body learns to respond to the adenovirus in the vaccine, instead, not just the coronavirus, which means that if you need like an annual booster, your body may get good enough at killing off the adenovirus that the booster doesn't work anymore
2: mm. for COVID. Mm-hmm.
1: That's not that the vaccine would be dangerous, but it would stop being effective. Mm. Um, and that doesn't change whether or not it's in a, a good, band-aid approach right now. But these are things where we really won't know for a while what's going on with that. Um, And I don't don't know, as a scientist, my expertise is far enough away from immunology and from vaccine development that I know that that is a possibility, but I don't know how to benchmark the likelihood of that being an issue. Mm. It's certainly not an issue enough to compromise my being like, great, if adenovirus vaccine works right now, and it buys us another year if everyone gets the adenovirus vaccine this year. It buys us a year before anyone would need a booster to develop the other vaccines. Hell yes, all in. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are the, these are the sorts of things where I where I know enough to to go like, okay, these are these are the concerns in my head. None of the rational concerns in my head are about the taking the vaccine itself.
0: And it's also your average person. Say say I was concerned about say i was up in the air i mean before i even have the opportunity to confront that reality there will have been a fair amount of time passed in a good millions and millions of 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 people health professionals elderly at-risk people and and so, uh, there there will have been a really really large sample size before i even consider well, I mean, right
1: yes but don't discount from the people who are concerned those people who are healthcare workers or people in care facilities some uh, of the yeah. people who are concerned are those people right And so if you are a member of the general public who doesn't have a a deadly potential pre-existing condition, who isn't a geriatric patient in a care facility, and who isn't a frontline essential worker, um, yes, you're right, there will be a giant cohort of people ahead of you sort of shouldering that risk while also reaping the benefit um, that you can look to and go, I'm reasonably reassured now, yes, there are millions of people who, who took this and they're okay. But also I do want to, to address the concerns of those people who are the essential workers, mm-hmm. who are on the front lines to get this. If we can ship it and it rolls out in the next couple of weeks, which is what they're talking about, maybe being able to do with the Pfizer vaccine, like those people are the first line of, of not the clinical trial, but the actual rollout of use. And, and they're people too. And it doesn't, right, the same way I'm saying like, look, I'm an epidemiologist, but I have my chimpanzee, I'm scared brain, and I have my rational brain. Healthcare workers have that also. And so I also don't want to discount their concerns because those concerns are still the, the I'm scared at dark, in the dark in the middle of the night, I, I've woken up and I'm disoriented kind of spheres. And right. humans are allowed to have those. We just also have to remind ourselves that we're smart enough to think our way out of them. Mm-hmm. Our reaction to, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm scared might be to turn on the light and take a couple of deep breaths and remember that the monster under the bed isn't real as opposed to go hide from the monster under the bed and and that's but that doesn't mean that, that it was a problem with being human to wake up scared of the monster. We're all human, we all wake up scared of the monster. The adult response is to take a deep breath and go, "I know the monster isn't real. It's okay. Even if I can't check for all of the crevices I think monsters live in, even if my the the, the nightmare means that I can't check, I can't look under the bed and go, like, see no monster." If the nightmare is like the monster only is there when you're not looking or would come up with some that you can't check you're still an adult human you still get to go i'm smart enough that i can overcome what i know is an irrational fear i can still have that irrational fear and get past it and i don't want to discount that from our healthcare professionals just because we have such faith that they also that they understand medicine of course they understand medicine they're medicine they're medical professionals but they're also humans and they also deserve the benefit of that of that reaction of like oh god what if yeah because we're humans yeah but to them also, who don't have the, then the benefit of the, the millions of medical professionals who do it first to rely on and go like, they, they went there first and they're fine. They also, they should also hear, it's okay to have that response. We all do. And then it's okay to go, okay, but I know COVID is also a, a drastic risk. And I know that this has been tested to the, to the best of our science. And our right. science is pretty damn good. And the fact that it ha- that we were able to test it faster does mean that there are some long-term unknowns, but we are in exactly the same place as the short-term unknowns that we would be for a normal time frame. Yeah. And And so if you would have gotten a, a vaccine five years into a normal trial for a disease, then you should probably feel just as comfortable doing it now one year in because the acceleration for that was how many people caught it in the trial, not how fast did we... No one is rushing the science on that. Right. But it is true. We don't know long-term effects of either the vaccines or COVID. We have more information about the vaccines than we do about COVID because we understand more about what we're introducing into people when we introduce vaccines. That doesn't mean it's perfect. It might turn out to be bad, but the likelihood is that it won't. And we have way less information with way, way more reason to suspect that long-term effects of having been infected with COVID are bad. Yeah. So
0: Yeah. I, I want to talk about those. Gosh, I feel like I could talk. I Sorry. don't want to take advantage of your time. Too, uh, too. Do you have a little more time still? Are you getting tired?
1: Yeah, no, I've, I'm good. But I also I want to be respectful of your listeners' time as well. And oh your no, time. they're
0: they're gobbling up every bit of this. I I just have a zillion more questions. <laughs> All right. Um. So I, one, because I want to talk about the long term effects of COVID. Is it's really should I start there? I mean, I I I ask because I I think the the average person. I've talked to so many people that in other ways, like believe in masks and everything else that have trepidation in terms of vaccines and and some of, I mean, some of the conversations that I have surprised me and and not, you know, I was on Twitter and I thought what I had, I, I thought I was having like a kind of good faith dialogue with some random person, which I don't know why I thought that on Twitter. And yeah, not uh, that, that's, that. that's my fault. Um, but, you know, I was kind of like asking this person for their concerns about what what are your concerns about vaccines and and there was like you know a couple what whatever like i thought that i was addressing his concern and then it just went from i thought i had addressed all the concerns to i don't know i think they're all they're just trying to sterilize us and poison the power and i oh well so in that case I, I wish that like we could have some basic science literacy where if if you go I believe five G towers are are creating the uh, uh, coronavirus, then you can go, all right, you know, I'm I'm going to that's that's a falsifiable theory that I have. So now I can go and I can look at the areas that have 5G towers and I can yep. look at uh, the very similar cities that don't have 5G towers and I can compare all of those numbers. And and it might turn out that, that and if it turns out that there's a lot more COVID in those areas with 5G, then maybe I'm onto something here, maybe. And and if and if it turns out then it's not then that's been falsified and then I can move on and think of a, another theory and hopefully even more ridiculous but uh, but and and maybe maybe you'll just salt you might find that areas of five G have less covid and 5g towers are curing covid and congratulations you just gotten the the nobel prize for this little discovery that you've made in the same way uh, for for this person i would say well and this is what i did say i would say well there are there's going to be millions of people before you even have the chance to consider that if you aren't a healthcare worker so you know that's a falsifiable prediction. If twenty million people go sterile, or even a percentage of them, like we're gonna find out in a hurry. And 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 if they don't, so I asked. I was like, "How many people would you need to see before that that falsified that prediction?" And I think I think until people start learning yeah. to think in that way a little bit more, because this is this is just.
1: Well, it, yeah. So it's complicated right so there's so first of all my, my my first reaction to that is actually oh god you might actually have just set up a new conspiracy because we're about to see a baby bust
0: um, yeah, yeah.
1: at the same time that we yeah, are about to roll out the vaccine and those things correlation are
0: correlation illusion
1: um so so it's quite possible that that that, that gentleman or the or, or lady that you were talking to on twitter might actually take you seriously Wait a couple of years and look in birth, look at demographic birth patterns, and correlate them to when vaccines came out, and go, yeah. "Oh my God, we did." <laughs>
0: yeah, but I mean, then, then you could go and test sperm yeah. or whatever. No, of course, <laughs>
1: of course. So, but but I think that's actually that to me is is actually more of the the crux of the matter is it's not just that we that we really should teach people more scientific hypothesis testing literacy around that. It's that. Even hypothesis testing of this sort is predicated at some point on reliance of data and yeah. where do you get trusted data. Um, and we've managed to, at this point, erode trust enough that the na- some of the conspiracy narratives say, if you're seeing data that doesn't agree with this hypothesis, that means don't trust it. Mm-hmm. And that—that that is itself, I think equally problematic. That way of thinking is equally problematic. It gets back a little bit to some of the, the who are your trusted leaders conversations that you and I have had also. Um, but who, who provides your trusted data? When you say go look at the data and see where is their COVID, um, if the answer is that people who are convinced it's 5G networks are also convinced that the people who don't want you to see the 5G networks are controlling where the COVID is reported, um, that that that's not, that no longer becomes falsifiable in that way, because you don't necessarily trust the data source. And so um, in my mind, there's a little bit of a catch-22, because I, it, in to me, and this is just me personally, this, everything else was actually just logic, but this is just my personal belief. To me, overcoming lack of trust is when you form communal oversight, which is the nature of what I think of as government. Uh, but it can be watchdog groups, it can be um, but but then the watchdog groups themselves are accused of being political, or The ACLU is accused of being political. Its job is to defend civil liberties, and it will defend the Second Amendment for gun rights as much as it will defend the First Amendment for free speech. But but the 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 ways in which we get to to have trust in our data is when there is sort of communal oversight of like who's who's reporting this data, how is it curated, who can access it. Um, and those are things that I don't think individuals can or should do, because individuals, we know, like we ourselves are bad. At, we can't even tell when something's random. Seriously, um, if you if you ask someone to, to look at a string of coin flips, just heads, tails, heads. And and just say, like, was this a randomly generated string or not? Humans are awful at that. If nothing else, we will look and see like, oh, 20 heads in a row out of a string of 30,000 coin flips, that's clearly not random. And the answer is, of course, it's random. That, yeah. that will happen. That will just happen. Like, why, why wouldn't it? Um, but we're bad at that. So any one person isn't the way to, to have faith in these things. It is coming together to do that. But then, of course, the actual conspiracies are usually government-type organizations or agencies or non-governmental agencies are part of the conspiracy, so don't trust them.
2: Right, right. So yeah. We
1: have that sort of logical failure of falsifiability, not just in the idea of hypothesis testing, but also in the idea of trusted data. Um, and I don't I don't really know how to fix that. I would love to know how to fix that. Um, education seems like a good way to do it, but there are really smart people who buy into this.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, yeah, it's... It is very very difficult to I I, I do wish be, because you know with opt in we're not going to have an opt in sort of situation with the vaccine short of like some country that might mandate it for this and that but um, but but oh. I, I I do wish I, I which I think would have probably a negative <laughs> impact that's that's the thing with when, when people talk about lockdowns or being effective or whatever else it's still you know, I I kind of think about how if if you had if you had two areas and you were like, hey, they're, all things being equal, in one area you were like, hey, condoms are pretty good. Here's some like information about condoms being good in one area that was like, you you must wear condoms, and and it's illegal to not wear a condom. It wouldn't surprise me if the areas where you mandated it had the backfire effect and 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 then people would say in that area that condoms don't don't work and I I think there's stuff like that happening with lockdowns and masks and stuff right now and it's such a it's such a tricky puzzle and then with with the fatigue too with I I love numbers that's not to say I'm great at them. I used to be, I had a natural inclination. I, I was, I was raised like in, i never understood anybody or anything being told to me. And I got math and math was the only thing that made me feel sane in this world. I got it very intuitively. Uh, I was, I was terrific at it. I could teach anyone how to, and, and I think that people have such a different... Because I I can, I think, more readily than the average... Uh, you know, most people need a calculator to calculate a tip. And and you know they'll, they'll, they'll laugh at someone that makes a typo or something like that but most people will be like i don't do math <laughs> like if i said i don't do reading or writing or something like that it would sound insane to people but once once you reach these enormous numbers of we were what are we nearing like three hundred thousand deaths or something like that that we know of for covid then it's like it becomes this thing where all of a sudden you need to start making these weird metaphors so like, well, if you took all those corpses and you wrapped them around the earth and, and people are like, whoa, that's a lot. Or you need to be like, well, if if each, think about three hundred, if you took... Three hundred thousand baseballs and you wanted a house big enough to fit those baseballs you would need an eight-bedroom house to yeah. be like whoa i guess this is a concern like why is it that we need to make these like insane metaphors for things
1: so the thing that gets me so i i absolutely agree but it's it's not just the metaphor it's actually the attitude itself so i i'm <laughs> Old enough, probably you are just old enough. All Like the two of us are just the right age for, for us to just be able to remember this, but certainly anyone older than us probably remembers this. Um, there were, I think, sarin gas attacks. It was either ricin or sarin. I don't remember probably ricin actually, now that I say it, because it's easier to make. Um, g- gas attacks on the, the subways in Japan, right? In in the late I 80s, early 90s. I remember that, yeah. Right? And, and then there were these videos that were so traumatic of commuters, Japanese commuters, trying to force their way past collapsed bodies in the subways to get on the subway train so that they could get to work. And the narrative in the United States at the time, I remember as a kid, was, oh my God, what the hell is wrong with the Japanese? Yeah. That they, they're so serious about getting to work that they would push their way past what looks like a dead body and what is probably a dead body to risk their lives in a gas attack to get on the train because otherwise they're late to work. Yeah. And I remember hearing that narrative and being like, yeah, that shows something really wrong with society.
2: Uh, yeah, that's
1: exactly the argument we're now using in the United States of, well, if I put myself at risk, okay, but we got to keep the economy going. And I'm like, what the hell happened in the last 30 or 40 years Yeah, that we can go from, oh my God, what are the Japanese doing during this terrorist attack on their subway system That means that the average person thinks it's more important to get to work than to to make sure that they are safe. Yeah. That narrative was, we like there were headlines. I don't remember if it was the New York Times or whatever, but like there were actual headlines commenting on the psyche of the Japanese people of what has gone wrong as a nation when that seems acceptable. And that is, and we have now adopted that as the rhetoric of America of, well, of course I have to put myself at risk. Otherwise I'm giving into fear. Because otherwise and the economy won't work. And yeah. I'm like, first of all, the economy will work just fine. We can we can make people both safe and economically viable. There are many ways to do that. We just have to figure out which one we accept. But second of all, how did we get to the point where as, as Americans, we are the people shoving our way onto the, the subway car of dead bodies because otherwise we can't get to work. Yeah. I, I don't understand how we wrapped around on that.
0: It it always, speaking of <laughs> metaphor, every time I see it, gatherings for any reason in the world, for holidays, for protests, for celebrations, for any kind of reason, I, I what it looks like in my mind is watching HBO's Chernobyl when people are sitting there looking at the bridge of the fire and the flakes of radioactive soot are raining down and they're like making snow angels out of them that's that's what it looks like in my mind what do you think about some of these long-term impacts i was just looking at the other day of i is this a false comparison of of i i was just thinking looking at some of the from SARS-CoV-1, um, 17 years later, there are still people impacted, have uh, lung scarring, everything. People that, you know, th- those that survived, you know, yeah. others had many other complications since that time. Uh, I don't know if it's a fair uh, comparison, given that it was at, at least in in the short term, it was a more severe, more deadly. Uh, but but only 8,000 people yeah. got. Got it. Uh, I mean, what kinds of? I and this isn't just a respiratory the virus. This is going. This is. I yeah. I also was taking. Um. Uh. I was sitting in in a neuroscience class with. Uh, with um Robert Sapolsky as I'm as I'm sitting here oh. thinking like am I overreacting or whatever and it's all the most tragic like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and all this and it's super high level like gradu like these are like the next top minds of the world so like I don't I can pick up on bits and s- pieces of what's going on um but uh I just like hearing him talk but he he like multiple times I forget even which one but but twice, like two weeks in a row, it was like about Alzheimer's or something. And and like this very complicated interaction in the brain. It looks like COVID is potentially doing something similar to this. And mentioned, like, he, he was like, and so, you know, if you aren't horrified about this winter. This is a guy that wrote a book about chronic stress and why we should all chill a little bit. And he's a very late Yeah.
1: Tech. I, I actually collaborate with one of his academic children, um, What's so that? I'm, I, I one of my collaborators is one of Sapolsky's academic children.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, nice.
1: I'm a huge Sapolsky fan. Right. Um, yeah, so so I think the real answer is we have every reason to suspect that there will be long-term impacts in a non-trivial number of of people who recover from COVID-19. Yeah. But we don't know what they are yet. Um, we do know that. The, even the, sh- the short long-term, so months after, um, not years after, uh, so that's what I'm calling the short long-term, because it's because like short is truly like the two weeks you are supposed to have acute symptoms. But we already know that a, a, a quite substantial number of people are what are being called these long haulers, um, where they have active, uh, ongoing symptoms from that a- acute phase through months after um, and sometimes those can be mild. just and, and when I say mild, I don't mean to downplay how severe chronic fatigue can be. Chronic fatigue can interfere with your life in a meaningful way. Chronic fever can interfere with your life in a meaningful way. But it's unlikely to kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are also things where, where quite literally they're worrisome about long-term survival. Um there were some, some very worrying studies I saw a few months ago and I haven't followed up with those studies to, to stay on top of where that research is right now that, that younger people who recovered from COVID um, had about, a I think at the time it was a 15 to 20% rate of those who had, who had never been hospitalized still had uh, observable damage to their heart tissue from COVID. Um, and, and so that sort of viral cardiomyopathy Um, We don't know. These are people
0: people that were never hospitalized, you
1: said? That were never hospitalized. These are minor infections that didn't seem like they did a lot of damage. And the answer is it might not wind up being that we don't have. I actually have in my family, someone who had viral cardiomyopathy, not from COVID. Um, There aren't a lot of studies and what happens to young people who have this happen. It's so rare. It has been up until now so rare to have heart tissue damage in your heart from viral infections in otherwise healthy young people that there aren't rigorous expectations for what happens to young people. Maybe the heart tissue recovers. Maybe you just have a less well-functioning heart the rest of your life. We don't know. If if it doesn't recover, what that means for for the 20-year-olds now when they get to be 50 and 60, so the effects of COVID 40 years from now might be terrifying. We don't know. Um, they yeah. might also so, so, so that's that is me fear mongering a little bit, and I shouldn't. I, I know, I and to I d- I
0: mean I don't want to be an alarmist either, but at the same time I'm just like you fools, <laughs> like we don't and like like there. Right. I think I think that I think that there is a real possibility. You know, I've heard too many people be like, oh, it's uh, you know, it's like a it'd be like a bad cold or for most people or the flu or something, but but I I really. It wouldn't surprise me at all, I, and I really believe that at least, as you say, a non-trivial, which might not mean a, a lot, but I think I think 10 years from now, there will be people going, why didn't anyone warn me? I thought yeah. it was just the flu. I thought it was just a cold. Uh,
1: and, and we know that there are viruses that cause long- long-term impacts like this, SARS-1 being one of them. Um, but also there are things that surprise us. So, so God forbid this, I, there's no reason to suspect this for COVID, but we now know that a bunch of cancers are the residual damage from earlier viral infections.
2: Mm.
1: We, we know this to be about, certainly about HPV and cervical cancer. Mm. Um, we didn't know that for, for me growing up, I didn't, I didn't think of any cancers as being caused by viruses. Um, now we know that, that there are many types of cancer that are the residual damage to tissue and, and cell genomes of the human body from earlier viral infections that you may not even have ever had symptoms for. Um, HPV doesn't necessarily generate any active symptoms, but the residual, infect like, well, after it resolves, way after it clears, after you could even maybe not detect it from, from the conventional ways that we would look for HPV, it can lead to the development of cervical cancer right. or anal cancer. Um, these are not cancers you particularly want. Uh, I don't no one to suspect. No one's ever right. said,
0: I particularly want anal cancer.
1: Right. That's not a substance <laughs> No one has ever actually wanted any cancer, hopefully. But there are, people are weird. But if you have to pick your cancer, those aren't good ones. Well, um.
0: I mean, in terms of fear-mongering, I would say that, like, it, it, for anyone that believes, like, all of this is just fear-mongering, there has been bits of good... I, I mean, there has been, like, yeah. hey, surface transmission isn't, isn't the concern that, that we once worried that it was. And if all this was, was fear-mongering, why would anyone say that? Why would anyone come, yeah. come clean uh, about this? And yeah. maybe, uh, maybe, r- 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 to me, at least the reinfection stuff looks slightly better than it did to me six months ago.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: At least. And, and so, and with all of the incredible amount of resources and awareness, everything else that's been dedicated into these vaccines. And we have this, we're cautiously optimistic about this, Perhaps next step in a new, yeah. greater, better science progressing as it tends to often do. Hooray. Um, there's th- this is maybe opening the door for advancements in the pesky flu vaccine, which has been underfunded and 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 is has been like fairly ineffective yeah. by by vaccine standards, right? Or, I mean. <laughs>
1: Don't don't knock it. I mean, flu vaccine is actually is actually really great. Flu itself is more problematic than than many other diseases. So so it's it's kind of an unfair comparison. It's like asking how good are you at staying on your feet while standing on dry land as opposed to a boogie board on uh, riding a wave.
0: Right, right. Like,
1: flu, is, flu is a moving flu flu is the is the ocean under you trying to surf. I see. Other vaccines are kind of like standing on the shore looking at the guy on the on the surfboard being like standing up is not that hard why is it having trouble standing up
0: <laughs> I, I i see i see that's that's good to, i i didn't i uh, ineffective was the wrong word but just in terms of like something like measles or smallpox or something like that that's gone yeah you know, basically, yes. for, basically, yeah basically i mean well, measles he, is making a comeback in a hurry done. with uh yeah good old andrew wakefield uh helping us out with that but um i but but potentially, I mean, vaccine vaccines can be used for cancer. I'm I'm in Wisconsin yeah. right now. I I got scared of Lyme disease for the first time this year as I like learned more about it and my <laughs> was spending time <laughs> learning infectious disease stuff and everything else. Uh, there this. The amount of resources and the advancements made yeah. toward the COVID nineteen vaccine might translate to oh, yes. lots of other advancements in not just vaccines but lots of medical. Um, oh
1: yeah, domain. yeah, uh, and and honestly, that is right. There's the wonderful quote from Isaac Asimov, right? To to brighten the light of science anywhere is to brighten it everywhere.
2: Yeah. Yeah and yeah.
1: and that's that is certainly even more true within the disciplines. And so within the discipline of immunology and virology and medicine, yes, that none of this is wasted. Even even if none of the vaccines had worked for covid, none of this work would have been wasted. This is all understanding better how to generate vaccines, how to how to keep people healthy during outbreaks of viral and agents, how to keep people healthy as around pandemics whether or not they're viruses um, what what we need to understand about human behavior that we don't at the moment um, which things are engineering problems and which things are medical problems uh, because those are those are sometimes direct trade-offs and our native knee, that knee-jerk reaction is oh this is a medical problem but the answer is guys if we just had a really cheap engineering solution to this it wouldn't be a medical problem um, those kinds of things are, are things we have made such incredible, like we're all exhausted right now, but I fully expect that if, if we ever sleep ever again and recover and look back on this as people who work on pandemic preparedness and mitigation, we're going to feel amazing about humanity. Like right now, it's so easy to look at all of this and go like, why can people not just wear masks and behave for six weeks? Um, but, but also people have been doing incredible things. Like, at like average citizens have been doing incredible things, scientists have been making incredible progress. Yeah. Public health workers who are also so undersung right now, the poor people who are being drummed out of their jobs by people who hate them because they are trying to keep people safe. Yeah, yeah. Is one of the darkest pieces of of humanity that I've seen. But the people who are who have survived this long. And I don't want anyone to feel criticized if they're walking away right now, but the people who survived in their roles as long as they did, however long that was, as they got waves of hate from the people they were trying to protect are some of the brightest pieces of humanity.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and, I mean, it is, it's (laughs) the most frustrating thing is that I think, especially early on when so many people did follow along with these things, it's with an infectious disease. It takes in a pandemic. It takes such a small percentage of the people to be bad actors to to cause so much havoc. What's the yeah. w- what is the eighty ten or, or 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 the eighty twenty like ninety ten? Paritos principle or something. Oh,
1: Pareto, Pareto um efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so in this case I think it it feels even more burdensome because there's erosion in that 80 in the yeah. in the good actor's percentage by by a compelling argument of look you you the person who's been trying really hard this whole time you are seeing your efforts fail yeah. and therefore it it's sort of a self-reinforcing belief that is false that the efforts don't help but it's not just that original It's not even just that original sort of paradox of of the majority of people can act well, but the, the minority can compromise that effect. It's that then it becomes over time coupled with that fatigue and the personal observation of like, I see the majority, the vast majority of people I see are good actors and it's not working. So maybe the bad actors have a point. And that's the part that drives me really crazy of like, rejecting good good practices recruits more people to rejecting the good practices it's it's literally rewarding bad behavior yeah it's a self-fulfilling negative outcome it's we can't control this because i won't help control it therefore it can't be controlled so you shouldn't control it either and then you don't and then it's worse
0: uh the, the other like saddest Ooh. thing about all of this is there's so many people in the wellness community that have been um uh, uh, it often uh, unintentionally bad actors because they have motivated reasoning to to forward like this supplement that they sell or this this uh diet or this exercise regimen as this cure-all and part of that is, is is part of the narrative is like hey look at modern medicine they over prescribe this and that and you don't need all of these things and i i tend to be a person that's like i i i wish that uh, uh i'm i'm pretty darn skeptical about a lot of the um pharmaceutical in in terms of pain management and then in and, and then in terms of mood altering um yeah. uh, like antidepressants and stuff like that I tend to be to be very skeptical I think vaccines are are just a completely different thing in the way in which they sure. work but I but regardless there there are there are a lot of people whose income is dependent on and and normally they are inspiring people to like work out more and eat right and do all of these things and are now the people going oh don't listen to all that you don't need to what you need is more push-ups and that'll you'll have a heartier immune system and it's and it's it's such a it's it's been frustrating i've been like it it's it's weird because it's just a, a, and I guess it is true that you, I mean, you want to have be healthy and have a good um, immune system. I guess that will help. It's not gonna, like, if we were talking about STDs, no one would be saying like, oh, just do more squats and you can't get an STD or something like that.
1: He did kind of used to say that though.
0: <laughs> did, did like, that oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: So 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 the the reason actually that we have. Uh, We formed the FDA. So the FDA now actually has a dual mission for both efficacy and safety. But the history of the FDA is actually fascinating. Um, The FDA was originally formed to prevent what you're talking about in in terms of of medication, of take this, it will fix you for, um, literally snake oil salesmen. Um, And originally the FDA's mandate was just Determine whether or not the the thing you're ta- the medicine you're taking is effective at the claim that the pharmaceutical salesman is making. Yeah. Um. And and.
0: And if they are selling, claiming to sell you snake oil, make sure it's actual snake oil in there and not some other.
1: <laughs> yeah. So <oil> <laughs> some some of that, but not as much <laughs> of that as you would think uh, yeah. initially. Initially, and then the role of the FDA shifted to include safety because of thalidomide. Um, And until thalidomide, the FDA didn't guarantee that you would be safe taking a drug. It was just telling you that if you took that drug, it would do what the person selling it to you told you it would do. Yeah. And then came thalidomide, which was the um, anti-nausea medication prescribed to pregnant women for morning sickness in, in the 60s and 70s, and it works. So the FDA approved it. It's a really great treatment for morning sickness, and it causes horrible birth, de- horrible birth defects and deformity in fetuses. Yeah. Um, so that 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 single drug, that drug by itself, is why the mandate of the FDA changed to be both safety and efficacy. But uh, the, the claims that you're talking about, of like boost your immune system, take these supplements, take these. The reason we call them supplements and not drugs is literally to get out of FDA regulation. Supplements are not regulated by anything for what they have in them or whether or not they do what they say. Um, but there were absolutely for STDs, for diabetes, for polio, for measles, all sorts of incredible. And you can look back at old advertisements of I mean one of one of the big ones was cocaine. Did did you did you have respiratory infection? Take lots of cocaine i mean
2: but did actually, it work
1: <laughs> no no but, but things with morphine did morphine is a fantastic cough suppressant there are still cough medications yeah. that include codeine for that reason yeah. um, morphine is also not safe don't take it for your cough yeah. um, but like but but the cocaine will make you feel better no matter what is the answer and so a lot of things had cocaine in them yeah. um and and there's lots of advertisements of like buy this these uh, stretching stretching uh, things and barbells and, and that'll make sure you definitely don't die of gonorrhea. Um, there's all sorts of all sorts of amazing stuff from the history of of both pharmaceutical and non pharmaceutical wellness industry throughout history.
0: So and and this is this is related to that. It's also related to One World Health, which I want to make sure and plug a bunch as, as we wrap up. But I. Another thing is is that there's this inclination to think of things that are natural as being good. You know, there's the the um, uh, you know genetically modified food has this automatic reaction of like genetically modified what? <laughs> and and like uh, and this is like wow, what an opportunity to go like go and take a genetics class online that's something that a 101 genetics class online that that won't take that much time to do like you could knock it out in a week bam that'll knock that idea right out of your head Uh, yeah uh, and 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 same with some of the some of the like more preposterous like vaccine concerns i think the infectious disease course would be like oh that's how they work that's the mechanisms yeah because because let me let me try to articulate this in a way that I'm sure is super wrong, and then you can correct me, just to okay. show show how how wrong I am in my thinking about things. Um, so, and this has to do with like when we were talking about the, uh, with Deb Miller, we talked about the lack of biodiversity and kind of, and I I made it I may have overemphasized this, I'm not sure, but but kind of a population boosts and packing people in and then. Feeding, feeding people things that are also packed in in, in kind of petri dishes and, and the, uh, the cumulus uh, risk of infectious disease. But then I, I, hadn't, I had never thought about the loss of habitat forcing species closer together and possible zoonosis and, and more um, species jumping of viruses and then mm-hmm. globalization, global, global travel. Uh, and 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 people, um, uh, you know, a virus that uh, something that maybe if it was in the same environment and and everything you would have this uh, you would perhaps uh, have this kind of red queen um, uh, mm-hmm. ev- evolutionary arms race, but mm-hmm. but because the, this arms race is building up in a, a, a virus in one area and then being taken to an area and infecting hosts that that haven't um, had the uh, the opportunity to adapt to it. This is not something that happens naturally. So even, even though we have countless number of bacteria or viruses or whatever that aren't pathogens that are zipping around everywhere all of the time, uh, uh, this is some of these types of things that are causing pandemics. There's nothing like natural uh, about them and One of the things that I like thinking about, not just in terms of vaccines, but just generally, is the same bit of DNA. I mean, uh, estimated humans have been around for roughly 250,000 years, the same-ish DNA has been, hunter-gatherers and lived in all of these different regions and had all of these different occupations and been a farmer and been a a janitor and a doctor and an astronaut and been on the moon and and had to be like so flexible and the ability to have these kind of if-then interactions in the environment and epigenetic responses and all of these and i imagine that the immune system also has to Uh, the the same ish immune system that was in some human 200,000 years ago is kind of in us now and has to be adaptive enough to uh find these novel threats in the environment and what a vaccine does is kind of give it a bit of like a cheat sheet in 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 a way of like hey here's kind of what's (laughs) coming out there because because the reverse of that is, is you hear a lot of people being like, oh, but if we just, we, if we, if we put ourselves in a bubble, we won't expose ourselves, we're weakening our immune system, like COVID some like perfect little workout for us or something like that. And, and, and that, and that. Uh, uh, you know, like getting COVID is like, yes, this is actually making our immune system more robust. I saw someone sent me a YouTube video of it was, it's always like some engineer, some slick smart sounding dude who's I'm sure really smart in some other field that is trying to sell a book about something (laughs) and talking way out of school had like, these people telling us to wear masks, have blood on their hands because flu rates and this and that this winter because our immune system's going to be weakened from not exposing ourselves to COVID. Like that's completely insane, yeah. right?
1: That, that is completely insane. That's not how that works. So the the analogy of strength is as muscle strength is not actually a bad analogy, but that's actually where the strength of vaccines comes in. Mm-hmm. um vaccines are training yeah vaccines are when you start if you start weightlifting if you go in and you're like i've never weightlifted before but certainly the best way to get a strong muscle is for me to pick up this 200 pound weight and try and bench press it you will break yourself <laughs> right sounds like yeah. your, some, your your muscles just aren't there to do that your tendons will snap if your bones don't break <laughs> and if you don't drop the damn thing on your neck you're doing well right yeah. Um, but if instead you walk in and you're like, well, I've never weight lifted before. So maybe I should start with this 40 pound barbell and try bench pressing that. And then if I can do that, I'll do that a couple times and my muscle will get stronger. And then I'll move to a 60 pound one and then I'll move to an 80 pound one and gradually maybe I can bench press 200 pounds. That's exactly how weight training works because we recognize that our bodies don't go from, from zero to 200 pounds in terms of weightlifting capacity, it is it would be, if we were trying to say natural, it is unnatural to ask your body to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. It is natural for your body to, to train. The logical fallacy in the analogy is that they're saying all of the training is happening at 200 pounds of resistance. So yeah. they're saying like, I have, I've, I've survived flu, so clearly I can bench press 200 pounds, and therefore I'm going to go over to this other machine that is not bench pressing, and I'm going to do a quad press at 200 pounds, because clearly I bench pressed that before, so quad presses will definitely work the same way, and I can absolutely take the same weight, and the answer is no, then you're going to snap your leg, so what we do for each of the vaccines is giving you a lighter weight. It, it's exactly, I actually did have a conversation once where an anti-vaxxer accidentally invented the concept of vaccines and said, well, why don't we just do that? And I was like, we we do. <laughs> we do. Um, yeah. so, so exactly what vaccines are and do is introduce a not as dangerous version of the same disease, and there are two. There are two flavors of not as, as dangerous. Or now there's three if the mRNA works. But there's there's different flavors of how we get the the thing we put in you to be not as dangerous. But what we do is then use. Your, we're not overriding your immune system. Vaccines are not are not letting your immune system off the hook in a way that doesn't have them practice. They are the practice. That is your. That is training your immune system to be able to handle the full blown. I'm not gonna buy, box even a 50-year-old Mike Tyson, right? I mean, that's, should not do that. Um, but I, I could probably box like the, uh, the, next, the next 40-year-old female epidemiologist, I could probably take her. Like, I don't <laughs> know,
2: I'm,
1: I'm scrappy, like. <laughs> um, but but uh, someone, someone training me, someone teaching me a little bit of boxing first can't hurt. That's what vaccines are doing. Vaccines are going like, here's a little bit of boxing and here's the technique against the person you're about to fight. Definitely don't, don't drop your left. Like that's, that's this person's known exploitable weakness is this particular combination of punches. So if you see the first two punches, the next three are coming, Mm -hmm. uh, know that they're coming. That's what vaccines are doing for your immune system. They're training up your immune system. And it is true that if you survive the disease, your immune system will be trained in the same way, but First of all, you may not survive the disease. It will be a lot more unpleasant even if you survive it. And your immune system won't be stronger or weaker at the end of it. It will just be now we learned how to fight that thing. Yeah. So,
0: and you probably, uh, uh, not probably, but but it's, it's not, not unlikely that you could have some uh, long term from anywhere from a few months. It depends
1: to- on the disease. It depends on the disease. So all vaccines for all diseases work in the way we just discussed for COVID. Yeah. It's pretty likely that some bad things are going to continue happening to you, even if you are just fine. And when I say pretty likely, I don't mean the majority. So that's another logical fallacy. I'm starting to hear from people of, oh, you said that there would be a large outbreak in this town, but I still know people who haven't gotten sick. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, correct. Large outbreak doesn't mean everyone. And it doesn't mean everyone at once. Or, you, were wor- you said a large number of people would have long-term effects, and most of the people I know who had COVID seem to have recovered and been perfectly healthy. And my answer is, right. When I say I'm worried about a lot of people, 10% to me of COVID people would be a lot of people, because yeah. 1 in 10 is a lot of people, especially yeah. when we're, we're talking about millions of people getting COVID. If I say to you 20,000 yeah. people or 200,000 people, if this keeps getting worse, like... Do you really want hundreds of thousands of people to live with long-term, long-term health consequences of this, yeah. even if they don't die? So, and that's just saying 10%, and the numbers are honestly probably going to turn out to be higher than 10%, have something we have to worry about at some point, yeah. even if it's just tiredness. Again, I don't want to, like, I don't want to, I'm saying just tiredness, and I don't mean that to be minimizing it. I mean that to be like, that is the lowest thing we're worried about.
0: But oh, yeah. He, Believe me, if this guy what, gets any sleepier, like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do.
1: Yeah. And it, it, it's also quality of life. It's not just yeah. did it kill you or not. It's how good is your life. And if, you're, right. if you don't feel well, just think about how people feel about hangovers. This is actually my favorite analogy for this. Hangovers are a thing where we absolutely know it won't kill you, but you're kind of unhappy. Mm-hmm. Right. So think about a mild hangover and think about having a, 10% of people who get drunk will have a mild hangover three months from the last time they drank, mm-hmm. right? No one would think that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone would be like, can we, can we drink less or can we fix alcohol to do something else? Can we? <laughs> no, right? Hangovers are bad enough just for the immediate recovery period, <laughs> And, and the, the analogy, the reason I like that analogy is that it's something where no one worries they're going to die. Everyone knows enough about hangovers to go like, oh, these are just symptoms. They're not dangerous. If I made it to the hangover, I've survived the dangerous part of the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that the hangover is okay. Right. Just because you didn't die of alcohol poisoning does not mean that your terrible hangover is not interfering with your life.
0: Right. Yeah. Preaching to the choir there, yeah. as someone who recently quit drinking in in May again for the third time. The first two were great, and this one's even better. So I'm I'm st- going to stick with it this time. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a that's a fantastic analogy. Um, I gotta I gotta start wrapping up and letting you, I, you go because I I do. I mean I think the, you know obviously, it, no one's going to make um a covid vaccine mandatory i don't think it would work even if even if they tried to implement such a thing and so there's nothing like a like a mandated like a dmv yeah. form opt-in but uh, but i i do wish people could could have because it seems like in the people that i talk to have a default attitude of just assuming that a vaccine is poison or or, or bad or them yeah, or whatever. No. And I wish that instead people had a default opting in to, I'm going to opt into, uh, when I can get a vaccine, I'm going to opt into doing the research. And unless I see really strong reason not to take it, I'm opting into taking it. I'm opting into, believing in science and researching more that's that's what i'm going yeah. to opt into and i i i think that uh when i when i found out that only three percent of people give blood and i was one of those ninety ninety-seven 97 percent of people i was like this has to just be so much to do with just needles are scary and and painful and wouldn't and and consciousness is is such a I mean, the way we can justify anything so quickly, you can take the most nuanced bit of priming and make the most fanciful, dramatic story out of it. Just to be sure that when you're thinking about vaccines, that it's not, that you're not, that that a sharp needle isn't something that's influencing your decision, go and give blood because there's no, I don't know of any vaccine or or of any, sorry, conspiracy um, uh, theories out there that are like, they're trying to take all their blood. This is your, it's a great way to do some good. It's a great way to, I know that some people are going to, like my brother-in-law, if he went to, if he went to walk into the blood place, he'd have a seizure. Like it's just uh-huh. not going to happen as much as he yeah. wants to. It's just not going to happen. But for a lot of for a lot of people, they could go and at least familiarize themselves and at least even if they don't think they're doing it, uh, uh, just make yeah. sure that they're not subconsciously, you know, that's not one of their yeah. yeah.
1: You know, so in both directions, both about I, just the decision to take it initially, and also also I seriously the public health person in me wants to leave it with the soundbite also of don't, don't rest on the existence of other people taking the vaccine to change your behavior, really controlling this, getting COVID so that really is a thing of the past is going to take both vaccines and mask wearing and social distancing and responsible behavior. And it's going to take having both of those for a while. It's not going to be the case that like, Oh, we finally have enough doses that we start vaccinating the general public who aren't just the healthcare and essential workers or the elderly, Um, Now it's just done. It's gonna take months. It's really gonna take months. And during that time, it's gonna be really important still to to wear masks, to socially distance, to try and be outside if you're gonna be social with folks, to to really still have in your head that this is a solution, but it's a solution that takes time Mm -hmm. and not to undercut the efficacy because we're also gonna have that same like, okay, but we've been vaccinating people for a while now and there's still COVID. And that people are going to be able to use that as an excuse to themselves not to get the vaccine. Don't let yourself fall prey to that. Yeah. COVID will be around for a while while the vac while we use the vaccine to stop it.
0: Well, I think the I think not only will the this winter be a wake-up call for a lot of people, but there will be slightly better messaging on uh, and from uh, I ho- hope so. ho- hopefully by by the uh, end of January. Uh, we'll we'll see how much of an impact that makes, but it couldn't hurt. Um, I, I hope so. And it, my my um, I'm still after our conversation. I'm optimistic that I could be touring by September. Meaning, yeah. Meaning, meaning, COVID is basically kind of like slightly. It, do i say thing of the past i mm-hmm. i mean i know i mean <laughs> when when do you think covid will be a thing that we think of like whew, that was crazy like uh, you know oh. we're still like a a worry like ebola or something like that but it's not it's yeah. not something that we think about every single day
1: so, so honestly, to get it to that level of hindsight, I think we're talking a couple more years still, yeah. but that's very different from being worried about catching it on a daily basis or having to make these kinds of daily decisions that you and I were talking about, about relative risk. Yeah. So I think what's really gonna happen is that they're gonna be, and Sept- I think September is a reasonable time to think about touring again. And part of why I'm saying that is not, that I don't think there will be circulating COVID. I think there will, but I think by then we will really will have ingrained as a matter of course, all of the things that we should do to keep ourselves safe in the context of somewhat more normal interaction. Yeah. So I would expect in September that if you go touring, the clubs and the venues that you're playing will still have fewer seats yeah, I... uh, occupied. So allow fewer seats to be occupied than they would have had you been touring two years ago. I, yeah. And if, I, if you don't see that, maybe still in September, don't play that venue.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but I, I, do, I do expect at that point that more people will have had the vaccine. That more people will, will hope. I, I hope you're right about this winter causing people to behave better. I'm a little bit worried that it'll actually go the other way. That, that it'll get <laughs> bad enough that everyone sort of goes, well, there was, was nothing up. we could ever have done, so we're not going to do anything ever again. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but I do think, I think by September, both by certainly the percentage of the country that already will have caught it, and also by the vaccines, and also by making part of our normal lives the interventions that help protect us, and I think those will propagate forward. A lot of, a lot of things that we, now, that we don't think of as disease-related are things that changed fundamentally about society in response to, to outbreaks. Um, things that are rude, that we would consider rude right now, like spitting in public in the West is quite rude. It didn't used to be. That was act, an active public health campaign from tuberculosis in the 1930s. Um, Ford, Motors, Ford Motors in Scotland. Had actually a, a public health campaign that if you if you promised to get a TB test and stop spitting in public, you could test drive a Model T. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's that, And that really helped. That incredibly yeah. helped because people didn't want to get tested, and spitting in public wasn't considered rude or or um, problematic. So so there are residues, like having powder rooms in your house. something that's not really like a bathroom, but a powder room Um, changed because of the 1918 flu pandemic. Mm. Um, Those are things where right now we don't associate them at all with pandemics or with disease protection. And I think a lot of the residual things of COVID are going to start feeling like that, where we just make them a matter of going to the airport. We now take our shoes off and none of us go, oh, my God, right, terrorism. We go, oh, crap, why did we take our we really have to take our shoes off. But the answer is that's because it's at some point terrorism was. A thing that terrified each of us. By the by, the way, also apparently, we're no longer worried about killing a 9/11's worth of people every day. That's apparently yeah. fine. I think um, it was
0: the building pe- uh, buildings, buildings yeah. loss that people were concerned about. Yeah. In in hindsight, that seems to be. Something I mean, and I love the trade towers this year.
1: I love the trade towers as much as anyone, but yeah, oh, that wasn't my okay. problem.
0: It, it's, um, it, it, so, it is,
1: yeah. yeah,
0: it's just like I, I mean, uh, I. I, in my mind, I feel like those numbers are going to double or triple uh, by, and I don't want to be an alarmist, but I I would Mm -hmm. rather, I'd rather be an alarmist and in February or March be like, yeah, I guess I was, guess I was wrong. (laughs) <laughs> I guess everyone yeah
1: I mean I think I think triple is pushing it double yeah. feels almost certain to me yeah um but I don't yeah hopefully we'll both be wrong and it'll all just be fine from here it'll just be
0: fine and and the last little man I can't get enough Nina I'm so sorry for keeping you yeah, uh but but the re- reinfection um I mean there are with, with SARS-CoV-1 it seems like there's people that still have immunity Seventeen years later, yeah. Uh, it is, is has I, I know this, I I know that I mean you you're thinking more larger scale and and systems and the way things move around and how to uh, organize prison yeah. populations and stuff like that. So sorry to ask you a bunch. It's just I know these are the main when I asked people for yeah. people have, um. I mean, I saw a couple of negative things lately, but I I saw some stuff recently that ju- it just seemed like some of the studies on reinfection stuff that came out uh, allowed for some cautious optimism.
1: So, so tru- truly in my soul, and this is, again, first pers- I'm not an immunologist, um, and and those are the folks who really have a, a well-formed opinions about this. But from the from the data, the aggregate data for individual risk, it really is too early to know. Yeah. So we're seeing some definite cases now of of some people being infected a second time who did clearly recovered, had some immunity for a while, probably the immunity waned and they got it again. We're also seeing people who six months out from their first infection have robust antibodies still. We don't know what non-antibody m- immunity looks like. T-cell immu- mediated immunity um, might be a thing, also. Like there, there's, there's so much yet that we just haven't seen.
0: Do we? That, do you know would it be would it be, at least measurable? Like so. Okay, I had COVID. Now I'm going. I'm giving plasma. I have antibodies. I saw some scale where they're measuring like things I don't understand. 1.0 up to 4.0. They're saying once it drops below 1.0 in someone or something or other, um, uh, then then you're potentially at risk again. Is, is that? Is there going to be something resembling a a a, a, a pretty dependable um, way of measuring our Immunity?
1: So so there probably will be, but it isn't yet. It isn't yet. Yeah. So the test you're thinking of from giving blood is, is probably a, um, a B cell count.
0: Yeah. And we need um, T cell.
1: And that's, I'm sorry?
0: And we need T cells?
1: Well, no, no. So the answer is that that we need a bunch of different things. There's lots of different ways. Your immune system's actually really complicated.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it has a bunch of different ways of responding to threats that can protect you. Um, and what we would need is an understanding of, of how the interplay happens among them. So right now we know that the reason that you that you got a B cell test for antibodies when you gave blood is that if we see enough B cells, we know you are you have currently protective immunity. Mm-hmm. But if we don't see them, if you see those levels drop off over time, that doesn't necessarily mean you're vulnerable again. It means that your B cells are no longer there to protect you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need a more nuanced understanding of, and some diseases only rely on B-cell mediated immunity. And if you don't have that anymore, you can catch them again. Mm-hmm. And others don't. Others transition to, to longer term memory cells. Um, and it, we don't know enough yet to, mm-hmm. to know. E- and, and diseases also change how long they, they maintain B-cell immunity. So that's why it's good news that we're testing people now and still seeing Antibody, B-cell antibody responses four months, six months after infection. We're like, oh, good, some, there's at least a six-month window where most people can maintain immune, known immunity. Um, but we, not enough people got it last April for us to have six months since for the average infected. Ask again in the year and a half, mm-hmm. and we'll have a really good understanding of whether or not natural immunity is protective. Um but, uh, but again, then only maybe for about a year and a half. There, there was a wonderful, I, I don't want to use up more of your time either, but there was an amazing case study. Oh, you're, um, not,
0: you're, you're not using up my time. Don't worry about that.
1: Well, we've been talking a long time. Uh, I know,
0: I know. Um,
1: and I can ramble about this. I, I love this crap. Um, there was an amazing study at the fall of the Soviet Union. It was a natural experiment. Nobody did this on purpose, where uh, suddenly, I think it was I think it was diphtheria. Suddenly people started getting diphtheria again. And adults who had been immunized against diphtheria were getting diphtheria. And until then, we had thought that the vaccine against diphtheria offered lifelong protection. Mm. And it turned out that what was happening is that there weren't enough children who were unimmunized. Diphtheria was being, the vaccine was being given to children early enough that no outbreaks happened. So adults who had had the vaccine were never being exposed to diphtheria at large rates. But yes. it turns out that the protection of immune memory from the diphtheria vaccine wanes on a decadal scale. It takes 10 to 15 to 20 years for that immunity to go away. But then you could catch it again. Mm. Um, and the answer was now we give booster shots for that. So good. But it took the fall of the Soviet Union to go, oh, diphtheria vaccine isn't lifelong. Um, that, was, that was news to everybody. <laughs> yeah um so so immunity to lot in lots of ways is very complicated um natural immunity versus vaccine immunity work in very similar ways but not precisely because exactly of taking rid of getting rid of the most dangerous parts of the of the diseases when we do the vaccines so whether or not someone who gets a covid vaccine needs a booster faster than someone who or slower it could be either one faster or slower than someone who might have had covid as a disease and then be protected such that they couldn't get it again for how long? We don't know which one, like maybe what, Maybe COVID is permanent immunity for most people and it's just the unlucky people who lose that memory um, because there's a tail end to that distribution. Um, or maybe everyone will lose immunity after getting COVID within a year or two, or maybe within a, 10 years. Um, and we, Until we see it, we just won't know.
0: Yeah, when I first heard about people getting COVID like a few months afterwards or whatever, I was like, wow, does that, I mean, does that mean a vaccine it also won't be able to la- uh, need like multiple vaccines in a year? How do you get people to do that? Yeah. And, and my feeling is is that it's, we're optimistic that they would certainly
1: optim We're optimistic that at very least at this point, we've seen good evidence of a four to six month natural immunity window. Mm -hmm. And that's fantastic, because honestly, it's not a huge leap. It's a logistical problem, but it's not a huge leap in human behavior to say twice a year, do this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a huge manufacturing and delivery problem, not to minimize at all the engineering and operations research that needs to go into that if it's what we need. But it seems like we could be very optimistic that that's now a worst case scenario. Humans are able, not only are humans able to produce immunity to COVID, humans are able to produce immunity to COVID because of, of vaccinations. That's, that's game changing. It's like when I, when I woke up the morning that the Pfizer vaccine study was, was released, um, my sense of incredible relief was not, oh my God, we have a vaccine. I was like, we don't know if we have a vaccine yet. Who the hell knows how the trials will go and blah. I was like, but we're able, like, we can generate antibodies to COVID with a vaccine. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I wouldn't have have put money on our ability to make a vaccine that could do that, and now we have three,
2: that's and that's
1: incredible. Like that. That to me is the most like optimistic hope moment I've had so far since March. Of like, oh, yeah. sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the world just smiles. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> my, my last two weeks, I've been in the best mood I've been in since all of uh all of COVID but I'm I'm also bracing myself for the storm at the same time so um gosh I want to have you on again sometime you know what I really want to talk about uh, um sometime with you is uh, and this is way more in your field is uh, is um, pandemic maximization things that people can do, like um, like for example, I, w- I was just telling people because I was looking at rates and where and I saw some some study that put like grocery stores is actually like a not, not bad. A, 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 well, I I saw something that said that that maybe there is some like a little more risk than originally thought at grocery well, stores. We've
1: done this. We've kind of gone, like, grocery stores are, are terrible and scary, too. Grocery stores are perfectly safe. And now we're back to, like, perfect yeah. exaggeration, but they're not, like, going to a bar unmasked.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so, then, originally we were like, do we need to scrub everything? And now it's just, like, just being inside with breathing people anywhere, which is a thing that happens in grocery stores. And and so, so with that in mind, like, you know, if you've never tried ordinary groceries before you might find that you like it more than actually being manipulated by the grocery store layout and all the different things that they do to trick you to get you to buy things and health, make unhealthy choices and this and that. And so there, there's gotta be a zillion things like that. I, I hope to have you on again um, sometime for another update and maybe a pandemic maximization episode, things that that you can do that aren't just compromises that but might be like I've done with my own career and like little things that i picked up on and like r- trying to write a book and all of these other things I didn't have time to do before I think that there's a ton of uh of of things that people can do and if you go to my Facebook page by the way I posted um hey tell me your story of like positive things that you've gotten into During COVID, and it's like the most responses to anything that I've ever had. There's all sorts of people picking up great new hobbies and improving their health and everything else. Awesome. I would I would love to talk about uh, uh, that um, sometime as well. But uh, I look forward to it. Any last uh, things that you want to leave people with? Otherwise, just make sure and plug uh, One World Health for people to check out before we.
1: sure thank you so yeah we do have a a website for the one health initiative at ut but uh one health is also bigger than just our initiative was i
0: saying one world health i meant one health Initiative. (laughs) sorry (laughs) it's all good one health initiative um
1: so so yeah i'd encourage if you're if you're curious about perspectives on research and health and and medicine and and food and environment um, it is kind of a one-stop shop for for the interconnectedness of the health of the planet and of, of animals and plants. Uh, so come check that out. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, but also, I think just everyone try and stay as as sane and happy and and okay as possible. Uh, it, it's probably going to be a rough couple of months, but we will get through it. And we are where no one is giving up. So so we're we'll we'll talk. We can talk about. Yeah, what should we call it? pandemic hacking? Pandemic hacking, like yeah. biohacking. Next time, or or whatever you'd like, but just
0: any, thank any, you, Shane. Uh, so much. that you you uh, uh, aren't overly stressed and are well <laughs> rested and want to come back again, oh, I know like, my like, audience what,
1: what, would, no problem. <laughs>
0: love to have you. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, thank you, Nina Fefferman, everybody, and thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week.